Yeah. So I think that it, we're live. Um, I think that is kind of a good talking point, like inertia getting stuck. Cause I mean, that's kind of what we're dealing with in Genesis. Yeah. Like, yeah. Getting, yeah. Getting stuck, getting stuck in the past. Um, and that causing us to be narrow minded when we think about what the future can hold. Yeah. It's, I feel like there's a certain level of comfort, you know, in the familiar. And when we look back at the past and we're, once we've come through the struggle, good or bad, we're like, it's, it's easy to get lost in just the fondness of it. And it's comfortable because it's just, it's the known, like it's the past, it's known, you know what happened. And the future is scary, man. It is very, it is very, and it's, it's hard to be optimistic about it sometimes, especially if you've been through, uh, you know, some rough things. Yeah, and I mean, I think these days a lot of people are struggling to be optimistic about the future in general. Yeah, they're you know, <laughs> I, I hear it at work, and it's just things are getting worse, things are getting worse, things are getting, and it's like we're in the most. I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying we're in the in the most dire uh, era ever. Right? We're the most, we're we're so comfortable, we're so safe, we're so we have so many things that it, to be happy about and look forward to, but. When you look at the media, it's like, oh man, it's like there's a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> in war with our, uh, who, who's who's warring right now? Uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia. In Russia, yeah. Yeah, every time I look up, the news is like, oh, China's gonna get in in World War Three, and they feed this this fear narrative. And I know that you know fear sales. Fear, fear sales. You tell people that, you, that they have. Uh, that's why we see so many um, billboards and, and commercials for hospitals, like heart care. Like who's shopping around for heart care? Right. <laughs> no, they know that when you're riding by it. Oh, oh, I need to. <clears throat> you read that sign. Oh, the cancer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually talking about with my girl yesterday. Like you take like giant brands like Unilever. These guys make, they make like snacks, like ice cream. I think they own Nestle or or something, oh, if wow. I remember correctly. So they make like snacks and ice cream and stuff like that. But they also make like vitamins, uh, diabetic, like diabetic control stuff, like Ensure, like the glucose stuff. Uh, so they, they make junk. Then they make the stuff that heals you from the junk. And then they fund like as lobbyists they fund certain political organizations to set policies around like the things that they develop and then that even influence then like they fund the media too by running ads and stuff like that and so all of it kind of feeds into just this like circle of i guess it sounds like preachy but like this mindless consumerism that uh is all it's it's circular almost because it's just oh yeah they sell the stuff to fund like running ads and then and, and then everything else is built out essentially on the on that base level of consumption the the stuff that oh yeah often at least isn't good for us at all well you know business 101 is to the business goal is to find a problem, mm -hmm. find a problem, so solve the problem and sell the problem. 
So why not <laughs> be the problem? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a solo circle. Um, it is interesting though, because it's got me thinking like just how much of kind of everything that we experience is tied into that same consumptive cycle. Yeah. Like, cause yeah, literally the news basically exists as a vehicle to serve ads and so does media. So does social media, like social media, um, television platforms, like YouTube, like pretty much all forms of entertainments, uh, news like all of it largely exists as a platform to serve advertising to drive consumption i mean and to to buy stuff or now like the like in the digital world but we saw it um a couple weeks ago with uh the storm uh what was it not irma idalia idalia they made one little post, one little thing about, oh, it's 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 to wipe us out, and I was outside and people were just flooding, the supermarkets, the gas stations, mm-hmm. everything. Things were sold out immediately, and I was like, damn, man, like, just they had just announced it. They're like, oh yeah, storm could possibly hit us, and just the fear it generated. But also, I could imagine, like, as a business owner, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> everything's flying off the shelves. Like <laughs> that's the best kind of advertising. A problem is coming. We can solve that problem. Uh, buy lots of shit. <clears throat> How do you think it impacts creativity, though? Like, mm. for example, I mean, you know, working, you playing music and stuff like that. Functionally, especially when you're starting out and doing how I used to do back in Tampa, largely doing like the cover gigs and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know as much what it's like in the original circuit, but even then it's like the music is the initial draw, but then even at least for me, my role as someone performing was largely to sell beer. Yeah. You know? And so even like creativity and stuff like that, it's all, what is the value of creativity? Like, from that business from like the how depending on how you look at it a lot of media like whether it's musicians movies or whatever it's its value is determined by people at the top who are just figuring out like how much how much money is this driving either directly like from sales for the thing or from sales for associated things i feel like it ends up corrupting like oh yeah is again, it's the biggest selling point, uh, not selling point, but the biggest um, tool that they have is FOMO. Mm-hmm. You heard of that? Fear mm-hmm. of missing out. So when you, that's as an original artist, like our biggest thing is to put on a really good show for the people in the room so that when they can go back and tell people like, you really got to see these people play. Like that's our, our, our performance at Pilot Jones. Our performance is our product. And when we, People are excited. They go back and they're like, you guys, next time they come, you got to see them. So people are like, what, you know, what are we missing out on? What are we, what, what's going on? And people are talking about this band and we got to see them. And then they go, oh, holy shit, these guys are fucking mm-hmm. actually pretty good. And then like, because uh, I love it when we go places and uh, people are saying, oh, you, the whispers, oh, you got to see these guys. Oh, you got to see these guys. Um, and I feel like at the top, it's the same thing. You know, Cardi, we, we all know who Cardi B is because we hear right. her name repeated over and over. Well, for me and you, you're not, you, we're like, we're artists. So we, 
we're, we're not very impressed because we know what she has to offer. But as kids or young adults or people who are just, just consumers, what is this Cardi B about? So they'll go in their Google, oh, she's pretty hot. All right, let me check out her music. All right, it's not, she's not a talented, but everybody's listening to it, so I might as well too. So when I go to the club, I know what, what dances and all that stuff. So I think we generate this culture of, you know, in, of selling a culture, you know, like be a part of this thing. And don't miss out because you're you're not cool if you miss it. It's it's a, it's that's always the thing, right? You want to be cool. Yeah, that's an interesting point because it's like the success of a creative thing often doesn't have anything to do with its quality. It basically just has to do with how many people are talking about it. And there's a lot of ways to get people to talk about it, but that's where like the record, like when the media machine all comes together, they can turn kind of like shitty, whatever, like whether it's like shitty music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Another really great example. Um, We all know what kind of person he is, but the media, you know, people will believe they're like, we know that this guy's not a great person, but, there are lots of people that support this person. If he was another person who did the thing, the same things, it was it would be like a no-brainer. But like, oh no, this guy, I don't know. I, I, I don't get. I don't want to get into politics. But yeah, but no, it is an interesting kind of meditation on the whole, on how important attention really is, because like probably the majority of the most talented musicians in the world, I would imagine no one has ever been aware of. Like they probably ended up in obscurity and it's not because of a lack of talent, but because of a lack of attention. And so a significant part of success really in anything, even if it's not like creative in the sense of like music or art or anything like that, but even like if you're really fucking good at driving a forklift, but nobody knows it, you know, it's going to be hard to get a job doing that thing. Uh, And I guess like right now with how much trouble people are having in the job market, how much trouble people are having in business, how much trouble that creative people have in general and getting their stuff out there, getting their stuff consumed. uh, It really is the hardest part is just getting discovered. Yeah. And as I feel like that's always been the case. There's always been highly talented people. There's always, there's always some great singers. It's probably the, the best singer in the world is probably right now in some fucking restaurant washing dishes, singing his ass off. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not putting himself, he or she is not, they're not putting themselves out there. And even just putting yourself out there isn't enough. It's, um, kind of the networking part. Networking, I feel like, is a huge part of it. And that's been my goal um, while, while I've been out and about. Like, and I ran, when I met you, like, things went... <laughs> I was first, I was playing at uh, Open Mics. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I met you, and then I was like, wow, well, you, you, you're doing paying gigs. Like, all right, let me do more of these because this is, this is sustainable. And just 
I'm not saying I used you, but but strategically, like I was like, you're going places. Mm-hmm. I want to stick. I want to focus my time and hang out with you because you you had this mindset and you were doing these different things. I was like, all right, I'm hanging with this guy because he's going places. And I feel like people really need to pick and choose and be aware, pay attention to all right, what, where am I at? Reevaluating, reassessing, like what what do I need to go from right here to right here? And no man can do it by himself. No, I don't care what anybody said. There's no self-made. Mm-hmm. No, you need other people. You need people to help you. So finding the right people to help you get to that next level. Like, like an RPG. You ever played a... Yeah. You ever, you're a power level? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a level one scrub. And yeah. You hang out with some level 19 scrubs. And we, but you hang out with those guys for like a few hours. They'll bring your ass up to level 19 in the jiffy. But if yeah. you hang around some level five jokers, they'll bring you to level five. And you're like, all right, <laughs> let's get to level 20. Like, all right, it takes forever to grind. But if you had just got with those fucking level 19 paladins, <laughs> you'd be looted out. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good, like, we often, I think, hold ourselves back because we want to maybe we want to we want to earn it or something especially when it's like when you're first starting out and you're first like branching out into some kind of creative thing there there's kind of a big tension between like oh i want it to be like totally authentic i want it to be all me and then there's that tension between like doing that and then like studying the game there's like oh, yeah. playing the game and studying the game are two different things and I feel like it's a pretty rare person who can play the game, whatever the game is, you know, if it's actually a game or if it's like whatever creative endeavor endeavor that you have. I know for a very long time with all of the things that I do, you know, writing music, all of it, I really wanted to do it my way. I wanted to be like original. Like I didn't want to copy anybody. I was really stubborn. Uh, And I think a big part of that was that I was trying to prove to myself that, like I was that I had do some, done something that I could do, that the quality of what I could put out was good or that I was I had a certain amount of value tied up in in my output. And when I exposed myself to the like the knowledge of to deeper knowledge, whether it was like studying music theory or studying advertising, like studying the game, uh, the more that I studied, the more that it it revealed kind of that deficit between where I was at really and where I had thought I was the deficit in my mastery studying revealed the deficit in my mastery. And that hurt my ego because a big part of me getting into creativity in the first place was that I wanted to build something that I was proud of. And then I found myself, especially early on um, the more that I learned about my craft, my craft, whether it was music or, or, or whatever, uh, the worse I would feel about my output. And I think there was a certain amount of kind of dying to my ego that had to happen for me to start to actually make progress. Oh, yeah. It's the whole, you know, coming of age. You know, when I, when I became a man, I, you know, I had to pull in my childish things and, you know, we're all kind of stubborn like that. Like, no, no, mommy, I can do it myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but no, I, I've been humbled as well. 
you know, I've been humbled in in places and at times and like for what you did, you you stopped and you and analyzed self self analysis. I feel like that that's key. That is so key and a thing that most people don't don't do. They don't brutally not not brutally, but they don't uh, objectively analyze themselves, like mm-hmm. you said. They don't stop and like, wait a minute, you know, I'm doing this, you know, it's not it's not it's not congruent. Um, but what I do believe though is that the journey is is um, is the goal itself. I had to get on my guys and Pilot Jones about this. Like the journey is the the friends we made along the way. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. the real tre that's the treasure, man. Like you no, know, did you have fun though? You know, the, doing the things that you did. You know, your music is I love your music, man. When uh Chad and I were on tour, we're like, let's put on Roses from Bones. Yeah. And we're listening to this sh- we're listening to this shit. We're like, God damn, this is good stuff. <laughs> you know, why did why did he stop? You know, it was really have you listen to your stuff lately because it is good man it's aged so well yeah i just started listening back to some of my stuff again because i'm i'm moving to austin next year and okay. that's when i'm pretty much planning to get back into the music stuff more more heavily uh i'm also i'm also releasing uh, i'm releasing just a some covers that i did yeah. like just fun, the old phone the old like practice tracks that I had put on SoundCloud for when you guys were yeah. playing with me, I found like about half of them were actually pretty decent to listen to. And so I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to release those. So those are coming out in like two weeks, just okay. it's like 10, 10 covers. And then I'm going to do eight more. Uh, it's not like fully produced or anything like that, but still, but still it's I've been writing. Okay. So yeah, my, my hope is that once I stabilize in Austin, It'll be, I can get back out there, get a little bit more active. I've just been juggling so much lately. Oh yeah, I um, get it. And but do it, at, you know, as as you feel as it feels good. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't go through the motions and you know put out something that you're not happy about either, though. You know, because I have a couple songs I like. I put out, I'm not happy about. I'm a little more embarrassed by mm-hmm. them, but I'm like the songs that I, I can hear myself the joy in the songs that I do like. And I was like, man, I'm glad I did that. And, yeah, uh, but no, you, you should definitely, man, your stuff is so, so good. And... Yeah, I think one of the biggest parts, one of the biggest things that, that has held me back creatively is that for a long time, I wanted to feel like a winner more than I wanted to get better. And the easiest way to feel like a winner is to, again, not expose yourself to criticism, criticism, not expose yourself to uh, like, the knowledge of like how you could do things better, uh, not learn, not study. And, uh, also it's, it's like the big fish, little pond phenomena. Like, and it's like the quintessential guy who peaks in high school and then keeps wearing his like varsity football jacket to the bar for the next 30 years. You know, that, that is a way that you can feel like a winner by never challenging yourself further. But, if instead you choose to adopt the mindset of the novice, I mean, and this is like Musashi, you know, if instead you choose to really look at your craft every day as if, not as if you are like a master, but like I'm here to learn anew again. Yeah. Every day is new. It requires you to 
reassess. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you'll put stuff out that, like, down the line, like you're gonna cringe at, and like that's yeah. good because if you're if you're looking back at something and you're cringing, that means that you have grown, and if you're not, then that's a really good sign that you maybe haven't grown. That's, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. I didn't. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of looking at it. And you're right. If I guess if I was just completely satisfied with all my all of everything that I've released, I probably would never try to get better. Or maybe I, that means that I have never gotten better. And that's that inertia we're talking about, I guess. <laughs> and I mean that applies, I think, to everything. Like if you, I mean, like as a dad, if you look back and think i'm not any better at being a dad now than i was 10 years ago that would maybe not be like a great sign but you've expressed yourself like things that you have gotten better at as a father like better at listening to your kids and like as like how you're how having kids and wanting to grow for them has changed you yeah and whereas like somebody else might just be the same old joker <laughs> yeah never you get you, you get there are dads out there that aren't very good dads and then they just they stop growing and if your kids see you set an example of not growing it's going to be harder for them to learn that they need to grow in oh, life yeah. yeah that's the uh, that's yeah one thing i learned as being a parent is that they watch they watch and they imitate Everything that they're, they 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 take in they're little sponges, like if you if you're cursing them out at the house, and uh that's what they, that's, they're going to be using the same kind of actions when they get out. That's because that's what I was. I, I think about my mannerisms. I got it from my dad. Yeah, <laughs> and it took years for me to to break out of some of the of the of the the, the, uh, the less desirable habits, um, but you know, it just taught me that to be mindful. Um, but yeah, I always want to get better. I always want to get better and, you know, just be a better version of myself. Yeah, I think that you have all at least the time that I've known you, you've always really had that mentality. You've always you've always been humble, you, you know, from early on. You were like, oh, like, oh, I, you would see people out in the world and you were like, oh, that's dope. I want to learn how to do that. And so you go start learning how to do it. Like even when we were like, working on your yard together and like the whole time you were like learning shit and you were uh i think you had just i think you had just gotten into like the gardening and like trying to grow yeah. plants and take care of that stuff i don't know if you kept up with it but it's like yeah you're always you see it. you're always excited to like grow and absorb and, and and challenge yourself and that's one of the things that i admire the most about you and about people like you is that that hunger to get better and i i've gained a lot from that uh, as someone who grew up in an environment where that was not really modeled i i was surrounded more by like by adults who didn't expose themselves to new ideas didn't want to learn it was more that feeling of having gotten there and trying to prove that like i got there as opposed to yeah, yeah when i growing up you know, adults seem so much more adultier when I was younger. But now that I'm an adult, I, I see now that it was, a lot of it was just posturing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of it, they don't, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. They don't, they're not as sure of themselves as, as they, uh, they pretended to be when I was young, uh, younger. I was like, wait a minute, I, I poke holes in, in, in their, their um, not everybody's, but I can, I can see it now. Their insecurities and some lots of times just ignorance, like, but yeah. and re, and refusal for new ideas. They just. Like, no, I won't believe this new idea because it challenges everything. <laughs> it challenges everything. And I got to start over. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. start over. <laughs> yeah, and it holds us back. And it, I think it's holding it's holding a lot of stuff back, especially as, as we continue to globalize. And then we create these echo chambers on social media. And we oh. get it. It's, uh, I think it's really holding back. I, I really feel for the young people these days in a way that, I don't know. It's like, like you said, with the news and stuff like that. And uh, it's hard. I feel like it's really easy to bury what matters these days in ways that it maybe not, it, it hadn't perhaps been as easy to bury what matters before the internet and before like technology, but I think technology makes it really hard to be present, be focused and to the best thing that the internet did. It brought, it it connected so many people. It connects us. And the worst thing it does is it divides us. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, which is, (laughs) which is so insane. I met a guy last night. uh, I went to a metal concert. And uh, we're we're rocking out. He he sees me. He gives me his high five. He's really warm. Then he turns around when my wife's there. He's like, "I'm really glad to see people like you, people like you here." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, me too." You know? No, no. Your kind of people should be here because you know, usually it's hip hop. And I'm like, "All right, all right, cool." Like, yeah, your people should you new people. I'm glad you're here. And I'm like, "Uh, "Yeah, man." But it was, I'm like, bro, like, it's 2023. The black guys are in the metal. Like, we, we, we've established yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, this isn't news. But yeah, <laughs> this I mean, isn't news. It's like you used to tell me, like, how you got out of the scene because it was scary. It was scary. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be here. You know, it was, it, people were saying things. It was the opposite. It wasn't that warm. Yeah. Uh, back in 1617. Uh, but, I don't know, man. It's it's scary how people still live in these isolated in isolation. Like yeah. how you, you got you have to purposely avoid information. <laughs> you have to to willingly avoid knowledge and, and exposure, uh, and to remain isolated. Like, and that scares me. That scares me more than anything. It's like people are going out of their way to remain ignorant. And I'm like, how? Like, <laughs> no, yeah. no. We've established that there, that this is is a you know, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like I see it all the time these days now, where there'll be some, some celebrity, some major personality that everyone just, some scandal happens, and then you know, media starts to dogpile them and cancel them. And it'll be someone that I had never heard of up to that point, and then maybe I'll check them out. And either they're like 
I find that it's rare that the people are completely like oblivious. More that I, whoever, in the case of like Chris Rock and Will, and Will Smith, I often go back to that. Like that's more of an example where like I knew who those people were, but like a young person who maybe wouldn't have been as familiar with either of those people might have seen that scandal and thought that that characterized them entirely, and oh, yeah. and had no understanding of just the you know, everything else about who those people were and uh, i have found that when i see like the media dogpiling people um there's usually a lot more value more nuance yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think there's a certain amount of, there's almost always a certain amount of value in, I wouldn't say this is universally true, but maybe it could be. I'd say there's always more value to people if you're willing to listen to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, the whole Seth Rogen thing, like, or is Seth Rogen or no, Joe Rogan. The big Joe Rogan. Yeah. I, ne- I never watched this, listen to his podcast. I don't know anything about the guy other than he has a successful podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I saw the media was dogpiling and demonizing this guy. And I was like, what? What did he do? Like, yeah. So I looked into it. So yeah, like it was a one side, kind of a one sided narrative being pushed because the media is the media. And they like to, you know, they, they want you to click on a clickbaity title. But at the expense of destroying the character of a person who, you know, isn't a hundred percent this evil person. Yeah. And I'm still, I, I'm like, what? I don't, I don't. Fame is something that I don't want, man. Because it's scary. They, they'll build you up, and then they'll tear you down, and all your monuments that they built. <laughs> yeah, that's another kind of tension that I think creative people have to have because you can't achieve any level of success without attention but then the more attention you get the more risk you take on yes yes you get i noticed that um like if i, po- if I make a post on uh, instagram whatever it, the more successful it, it, it does i always have those, those sneaky little you know the, the negative criticism that keep that creeps in but sometimes it's so extreme though i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa you don't know me you don't, yeah. you don't know me I, i'm just playing bass guitar like, why are you, why are you, like, Stan, why are you so mad, Stan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I, are you familiar with, like, David Goggins? I, I yes. Yeah. He's, he's a speaker. I think he's one of those people who handles it really well. I've been talking about it with a handful of people recently who are kind of encountering that first level, like they're having their first encounter with like haters basically. And Goggins, like he, he will read all the hate. He'll record himself reading all the hate that he gets. And then he will play it while he goes out and like runs 50 miles. Oh, wow. (laughs) He'll listen. You've got like, it's the opposite of like the positive affirmations he like listens to the shit that people say like the hate and uses that to accelerate him forward to keep moving forward. And I have found a similar, it might not work for everybody, but like, um, 
I have found that the more I have encountered failure and hate and rejection, I mean, A, it gets easier, but also there's a certain, I don't know what it is, but there's a certain like motivating quality to it. I guess now that I have achieved a certain level of confidence in like who I am, what I have to offer and more so what I want to do that's detached from what people think about it. Yeah. I'm not really putting this very well, but um, you talked a couple of weeks ago, we were talking and you talked about like submitting music on like submit hub and stuff like that. And then having people kind of get back to you and be like, this sucks. Like, yeah, I've had the same experience. Uh, And back when I first did it and I would first, I first encountered that, like someone criticizing this thing. That's a piece of me. It was like, it's like that. I still remember the first time somebody like I, I was in first grade, and it was like some girl that I had had a crush on in first grade. She like walked up to me. And she was like, "You're ugly," and I still <laughs> remember that to this day. And like now, looking back at that, it's like, okay, yeah. that's, just, that's just what kids do. And oh yeah. And it's like I took, but I remember I carried that criticism, and then like all the first the first times, those little negative things we carry those with us for a long time and they can hold us back for a long time. But I think the more that you encounter them, I guess they sting less and it becomes a little bit more exciting because what I have realized is that it's kind of just the price. It's the price, the exchange that you have to make to make progress. And so now when I encounter negativity uh, from people who tell me that like I'm full of shit or I'm wasting my time or like, stuff like that on the creative stuff that I pursue now, it actually energizes me um, because I am no longer in a position where I guess I need other people to believe in me. Yeah. That that makes sense. I just that um, a few years ago, I was in the the dating, the dating world Mm -hmm. and I just I read I read a, a really good book and it was about just you know putting yourself out there and when you're dating somebody it's like an interview it's like yeah when you're interviewing but the thing is we had this mindset I'm not sure about you but I had this mindset of like I just want any kind of job I just want the job I'll lie right. for it I won't be my authentic self I'll but I was like when dating I don't have to lie I don't really like if I don't like this person like I have to like this person too like I have to mm-hmm. actually like this person so anyway yeah you're interviewing them at the same time. So with that mindset, I, I just went, went out and I did like, I did speed dating. Mm-hmm. I went to a, a couple of those and like did, and just met people like 20 women in a night and mm-hmm. just different, went on different dates and um, just, just to learn people, not to, you know, I, I, I took sex out of the equation. I was being, yeah. I was practicing cel- celibacy. When you practice celibacy, you're even more honest because you're not trying to, because sometimes we, we accept things that we don't want to, we don't want to hit, we don't want to, um, we don't want to um, lose this person, this, this, this potential right. sex partner. So we, we kind of lie. We kind of put up with things. And then once we have the sex, we're like, oh, all right, you know, now I can be myself. But with not even sex in the equation, I just got to know people. I really, Nate, like that was so profound to me when dating these people, dating these women. And reject, they were, they were, yeah, there was rejection. But like you said, the sting of it hurt less and less and less. And then that's when I started doing the music thing. I stopped. I stopped dating. I was like, "Let me do this." Isn't this isn't doing anything? I'm not getting anything. I'm chasing the yeah. women. 
and uh, getting, I was scared forever, man, to get out there and, and play a guitar or fucking sing in front of people. I was terrified. But after all that experience dating, I'm like, oh, this is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so that helped a lot. And my first major criticism as a musician was actually with Paula Jones. We played the set and uh, I'm just, I was playing bass. And at the end of the set, the musician, uh, photographer came up and he said, man, you're the worst. You're the most boring bass player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he said this shit and I was like, oh, man. But now if you ask anybody in the crowd, like I, I don't hold back when I play now. Yeah. And it was all because of that. I needed that. Right. I needed that kick in the ass and that that uh that criticism. Um if I hear it now, I'll be like, You're full of shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're full of shit, dude. I know I'm bad. <laughs> yeah, I talk about the four like life as like a forge, like the forge metaphor quite a bit. Forge, and yes. It's um if you're trying to make like a lump of raw iron into something useful you throw it in the fire you melt it down you beat the shit out of it toss it in some water and then you do it all over again you beat it until it breaks or until it's strong enough to not break anymore and that's how you make you take a, a lump of dirt and turn it into something that's actually useful and that's kind of how life is and so that's where i think you get to that like david goggins mentality and then like less extreme than that just oh yeah so like really learning to look at hardships failures rejections criticism as i mean it's the forge yeah but see like you said it's it's a forge and it's scary and it's uncomfortable and i talk i talk to chat about this a lot like how how many people do you know that have things that they can do outside of their job they're outside of their comfortable routine mm-hmm. like who just get up go to work work go home watch tv go to bed get up go to work and they yeah. do this until the weekend and then on the weekend they can oh i go to the beach i do I, i'm myself on the weekend right and then they go back to work and it's just the same thing like so many people more, there are more people who are willing to buy into that that comfortable, uncomfortable routine. And yeah. if they do that with their lives, like imagine like everything in their life, they're, they're, they're just comfortable with the, with this rut. And it's scary. It's so scary that people will put their lives on autopilot instead of throwing themselves into their forge. Like, what is it you want to do, Gretchen? Yeah. <laughs> you always talk about, it's Friday, it's Friday. Fuck yeah, it's Friday, but it's going to be Monday in 24 hours. What are you going to yeah you're gonna be 50 in a minute like you know what are you doing yeah it's so easy especially as we like i think when we're young you know we're we're hopeful and everything it's before we've encountered that early criticism and so we're more willing to try things out we're we're more curious when we're young uh we look at other people as equals you know every day like we can find we like we can find fun in like little things. And then all of that kind of goes away as we get older and we kind of build up this shell. And then we end up building that very small comfort zone that we end up existing in. And then we can go, children experience more life in five years than most adults will experience in 50. 
That's sad. That's, and that and that breaks my heart, man. That breaks my heart. You know that that we're conditioned like this. That you know, and that's my goal is, is with my kids is to like, look, you can do things outside of you know the the expected and the the comfortable things. Like do things that scare you, man. You, um, the music thing is still to me is relatively new. I was in that rut. I was I was in the rat race, and I've been doing this since. 2019 mm-hmm. we're in 23 and i'm like now i think i look back and like man i wouldn't have it any other way yeah but you had to really break break through that initial like that initial fear of Rejection. putting yourself out there and, and 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 being bad like you gotta you gotta be you gotta do it bad yeah. first before you can do it good and and that's the thing that holds so many people back and i mean i've seen this uh I've seen this in my friends. I've seen this in my family. Uh, I will know, like I, I'll see in them, like all this potential, and I'll see the light of passion for something. Just every once in a while, when they end up like talking about something or they yeah, do there. something, it's there, and then I'll see them put the cover on it. Yeah, yeah. You'll say, "Why don't you do that?" You're like, "Oh man, I would love to play guitar." Why don't you do it? Like, yeah. Ah, ah, it's like, like when I learned how to play guitar, like I didn't say like, God, please let me play guitar. And an angel came down and like, Boom. right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your talent, man. Here's your skill. <clears throat> your skill. I remember it was just every day. Just, I don't know. It was, it was something inside though. So I, I can't compare myself to everybody, but I can't imagine living a life of, just the just survival just survival and i don't i don't get it man i i really i'm glad i don't i glad i i was talking to my, my wife she's a therapist and i tell her that my anxiety you, you ever seen jojo's bizarre adventure chris say that again have you ever heard of jojo's bizarre adventure yeah <laughs> yeah it's hilarious so, in JoJo, they have these things called stands, right? Mm-hmm. They're stands. So they like, oh, Star Platinum. You know, they, they point at the enemy and, and they're stands yeah. and beat it up. So I feel like that's my anxiety in a way. My anxiety is my mm. my stand. Because I, you know, you, you, you worry, you're like, oh, uh, but you can use it. You know, you don't, you don't have to let it destroy you. You can mm-hmm. use it to kind of propel you and, and energize you. And, you know, hey, take care of that shit over there, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you can redirect it too. It's like exactly like you just said, like we're going to feel anxiety in our lives, but I suppose we can choose what we feel anxiety about. Most people feel anxiety about like what one or two people are going to say to them when it comes to like creative stuff or like, like work and stuff like that. It's like, for example, like back in 2019, when I left my corporate job and decided, like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. Like the the number one thing holding me back back then was I didn't want to go to family dinner once a year and have somebody ask me, like, have like one or two members of my family ask me the question, like, so what are you doing for work? And then not have like the right answer for them. That that was what was holding me back from doing the shit that I wanted to do. The opinions of two people who would only talk to me once a year and would never really listen. 
(laughs) And like when I, it took me a long time to realize that like it literally is, it's not even just the opinions of other people that hold us back. It's the opinions that we have about the opinions that they might have. Like it's all, it's all bullshit. It's all fake. And so if instead of being anxious about what one or two people who we don't even really like that much might think about us, if instead we were anxious about wasting our lives, yeah, then it can fuel us. Yeah. I think about anxiety is, you know, we always want to say anxiety killers and shit like that, but actually I feel like anxiety is love. It's, it's a manic, it's a manic kind of love. It's a, it's a Mm. a self love. Yeah. And I think about when my anxiety kind of speaks to me, it's actually my fucking mother. Like, yeah. it's my it's my mom. I'm like, like, so I have to stop and I'm like, you know, we had all the devils and the angels on my shoulders and shit. That's where I, where I view my anxiety now. now yeah. I, I get this sense of dread or fear and like, oh, don't do that. You know, and I think about my mother, like, don't do that because, you know, and it, but it's love. It's coming from a loving place. And it's just really and analyzing you know all right why 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 am i feeling like this why what why is my anxiety what is it trying to protect me from mm-hmm. and then once you realize that you know you can negotiate with it you're like no hey but what if what if things doesn't don't turn out that way you know what 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 will happen if i do do this thing yeah you know and not let it just just control control you and that fear man it's i know it's, it's easier said than done it's, it's, it's so much easier said than done and um i don't know yeah that is interesting i have thought about that before like anxiety fear these are i mean i think there's kind of no better example of like self-love that's like the body the mind wants to continue like, existing yeah like chill chill man you're gonna put us in risk <laughs> yeah and so understanding that that mechanism that in and of itself is an example that like you care about you and even if no one else has anxiety for for you for your well-being which would is probably not the case there's always people who care uh, yeah at the very least if you are if you have anxiety if you have fear that's a good sign that fundamentally there's still a piece of you that that still that loves you and so you can lean into that and then like oh, you yeah. said negotiate it understand what are you afraid of and then you can really start to break down rationally uh the possible return on whatever risk that you might be thinking about that's giving you anxiety and the cost of inaction. So when it comes to something like dating yeah, and the anxiety that people will have around asking somebody out or like going on a date or something like that, like, Oh, what if I embarrass myself? What if they say no? What like, well, what if they say yes? What if you do embarrass yourself, but they like it? <laughs> you know, what if they think that it's, that it's cool and it makes that's them feel wife. better? <laughs> so I got my wife. Yeah. Um, I had learned. Uh, so one one of the biggest things I learned while dating was consent, because mm-hmm. we we talk about that and we think that consent is like, oh, you know, you just no. It's think about the first time you kissed your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, did you say, hey, can I kiss you? <sighs> How many times did you do that before you kissed a girl? No, you kind of yeah. like you kind of like you you know right? Like, yeah, I know that. No, I started doing this thing where I'm like. We're, we I, we hit a, a, a point and I'm like, hey, can I kiss you? Uh-huh. And like for some girls, they're like, what? You know, even if they were feeling that way, they were like, right. 
it would throw them, put them, uh, put, throw them back. So I told, tried it with my wife, and she emphatically said no. <laughs> <laughs> she said she screamed no. Like, we're having a good moment and everything. I'm like, oh shit, I completely misread the room. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, I, I bounced. That rejection hit me so hard, but I bounced right back and was like. This is a good movie we're watching, right? You know, and I, I kind of yeah. just, I let it, you know, I, I, it was a glancing blow. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the next day we hung out. Like she made the first move, and later she she would say like I appreciated that you that you asked and that you took my rejection without like you know, <laughs> bitch. You know, right. you didn't have to. You know, I just took the reject. I, I absorbed the absorbed it and just let it. Right, it didn't bother me, and she yeah. loved that. Yeah, because something like that, for if you're dealing with like a healthy person, then something like that is going to make that person feel seen. It's going to make that person feel valuable far more so than just imposing your read of the situation on them. Yeah. Instead, it's imitational and it's communication. That's I mean, relationships are communication, and it's a, amazing that people don't realize that. But I like fundamentally, if if a relationship is struggling, whether it's a friendship or a family or a partner or a business relationship, oh yeah, it's almost always because of communication. No, no doubt. It's I learned again while dating. That was something that I learned was consent because you hear about people just like you said imposing in like oh it felt right and I thought she wanted this You're like no I would like. I never forget, I had another woman. Um, we were drinking. It was great, great night. And we went to her place, and I was about to go inside. And I said, Hey, do you want to have sex? And she, she was like, like, I said, we were drunk, but she was like, Oh, it just got kind of weird. But we were making out and everything. But I was like, I asked her again, like, Do you want to have sex? And she kind of like just gave me a look. And I was like, That's a no. That yeah. is a no. So I, I kissed her goodnight and took her and stayed outside, took her inside or let her go inside. And I'm so glad that I did that. Yeah. But think about, I think about all the times that I did not stop and ask. So we're making out, we push the door open, you know, whatever. We just go. There's no stopping and consenting. Yeah. But, yeah. And that's where yeah. I think a good rule to live by, not only in situations like that, but pretty much any situation is if it's not a hell yes, it's probably a no. If, yes, yes, that's what I learned. If it's not a hell yes, it's not. It's not a fuck yes. Enthusiastic, yeah. enthusiastic, and that's not just dating, but that's in every kind of relationship. Work, business. When I met band. you, like you were like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. You were so enthusiastic. I mean, you still are, but I never forget our first talk at PJ Dolan's. I forgot what the fuck we were we were meeting about, but we talked for like three and four hours. Yeah, like. <laughs> I was like, this is the guy because you were so like, ah, passionate. Yeah. And I think that if we use that rule to communicate better, even just with ourselves, I can really understand like, if I'm not excited about this thing, then maybe I should try to unpack why. Like, yeah, no. I think sometimes yeah. we fail to ask ourselves for, for like, for permission almost it's it sounds kind of lame but like going back to like the whole work thing and how people will spend decades doing shit they hate and 
all probably because they just haven't had the conversation with themselves. Like, do I want to do this? Like, is, is the life I have right now actually that much better than being dead? Like, if it's not, if it's not a hell yes, then it's like, make a fucking change. Like, yeah, no, we, we have the choice. We can do that. And that's where there's a, there's a strange comfort in discomfort. Like, when we sacrifice certainty. Can you give me just one second? I have yeah. a delivery. Yeah, you're good. Give me one second. I'm, I'm sorry. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, Oliver. Appreciate you, brother. What's good, man? Thank you. What'd you get into? No, I'm just on a, a phone call right now. Go ahead. I'll talk to you later, bro. All right, you take care, man. Thank you again. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's all good. I went to a concert last night, so my buddy, he got me a, a signed set list. That's dope. Of all, of all the guys. So he had to get the last signature today from, from the uh, a band member that was taking off. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I'm guilty of that, man. I worked a job for 10 years, fucking hated it. But but it was like I needed it because I, I was like, I need I need this job for, to get a house. That was my goal at the time. Right. Like. I, you didn't know me back then, but from the years 27, 16 to, to when I got the house 2019, I was obsessed. I wanted a home. I said, I need to own a home. I need to own a car because I'm an adult. Like I was like 35, right. 36. And I'm like, I don't own anything. Like I, like, I don't own anything. So I was obsessed with owning a house. So I was like, I need this fucking job. I need, but. And I look back now, like, that, I didn't need that specific job. Right. Like, I thought, I felt like only they, I felt like I was only good enough to work there. So I had to put up with their shit. But now I look back, I'm like, you could have worked, it was a job, dude. You could have found a job anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, it's something that I'm seeing a lot on LinkedIn, too, is we we get really wrapped up in, like, our jobs, and we don't want to it's embarrassing to maybe not be able to find another job or like not get a promotion or not stay in a lane. And so I'm seeing it a lot recently, like again, layoffs going crazy right now. I'm seeing it every day. People talking about like, Oh, I just got laid off. I'm looking for another role doing what I was just doing. Um, I'm seeing people talk about like they've been looking for six, seven, nine months for a job in their field. And I feel for them. But at the same time, the simplest solution to that is do something else. And it really, I think that also goes back to having, being willing to adopt that novice mentality that like, I mean, I was in that position. Like when I, earlier this year or last year, I was struggling to make the freelancing shit work. I was embarrassed and like, I was like, what, what am I going to do? And then finally I was just like, fuck it. I'll go back. And I'll fucking stock shelves at Publix again. Yeah. And that solved all my problems. Like, yeah, it wasn't awesome to, again, like sit at dinner with family yeah. or friends and be like, and they'd be like, them say, what are you up to? And I'd be like, oh, I'm stocking shelves at Publix again. Just like <laughs> same job and, that I quit like yeah. 10 years ago. But I think that's a, that's just an American, not maybe not American. I, mean, I think that's a trait, a human trait. Is First thing is when we meet somebody, your name what do you do and like mm-hmm. i think we ask that so that we can value you as a person like how should i treat you like 
maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe like somebody tells you that they're a janitor, like, do you instinctually think, oh, I should treat them? Mm. And they say, oh, I'm a governor of Florida. <laughs> right. You know, I, so I think it's, it's like a, 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 stat, a status badge. And um, one of my favorite things to do, I love to lie. I will fucking, but strategically. Right. <laughs> so right, I'm yeah. a stranger. I'm like, I like that. I just lie, like, cause I'm like, why? Why do I need? I'm gonna lie anyway. So sometimes I just, depending on my mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to see, like, gauge, yeah. gauge how people react. Yeah, sometimes it's person, fun to. How is this person gonna treat me? So I yeah, lie. but I think we do that though because we we want to gauge ourselves too as well. Like, how do I measure up to this person? You know, I think they do it in the military. They, in the military, where insignias though they're like right. designate their status so they know how i can treat this person how they can treat me yeah you know whereas but, in out in the real world it's kind of it's a constant negotiation and i mean no matter no matter what you're always kind of lying lying anyway like yeah whether because uh, it's not as if whatever identity you put forward and encompasses everything that you are you're still distilling everything that you could say to somebody down into one narrow thing. Yeah. And um, we all get that insecurity. You know, I think we're like, Oh, I'm a fry cook somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a, I'm just a, this, I'm just a, that, you know, I think if we, if we really, if we, I don't know if we, how to get outside of that. Uh, but like, other than lying, I, I, I just lie now. Because uh, this is what we do on LinkedIn. Uh, link, LinkedIn taught me yeah. anything. <laughs> you, you can like, oh, I'm a sanitation technician. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole lot of vowels and syllables in there. And it must be important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's. I've talked about this on actually a previous podcast. Like, no matter what, you're wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you kind of decide. And, and the mask that you wear does influence how people treat you uh how people interpret the things that you do and it really is as simple as it can be really simple shit but i mean the words you you use the to describe what you do the i mean how you dress in certain situations it's like you'll hear stories of like millionaires like uh, i when I was growing up, I heard a story of like a family friend where they were like a rich family. And then like the, the grandfather or the patriarch or whatever, he was like a farmer. He made his money in industry, but he spent his time off like working on his land. And he went into the, into a bank branch once to draw a bunch of money and they wouldn't serve him because he looked poor. And then he ended up pulling, like he was like one of the largest accounts at the bank. And so he ended up pulling all his money out and banking with somebody else. And they're like begging him to stay and stuff like that. But it is like the mask that you choose to show people is a really great way to kind of assess like what kind of people are they? How are they going to treat me if I tell them on this compared to if I tell them on this? Mm-hmm. And it's a good filtering mechanism to make sure that you are seeing people for what they really are yeah i mean i guess it's it's probably a uh you know an old human um trait is is built is built in it's built into the system the hardware (laughs) or our software um but 
again, it's, I guess it goes back to that whole level of thing about rejection. Like we fear that a lot, man. We don't, we don't want to be rejected from the tribe. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care what any person says. Oh, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Like if that was true. You wouldn't have to say that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it was, if that was actually true. You wouldn't have to tell us if you didn't care that you didn't, yeah. that you don't care. Like, you know, you fucking care. You piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did you ever watch game of Thrones? I read the book. Cause I read the book. You know, that asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, um, I don't remember if he said the line in the book because I read the books too, but I remember in I think season three they had the head Lannister, uh, the dat, like Tywin. Tywin Lannister yeah. was yeah, in a yeah. conference room with Joffrey at like a table with all the advisors and stuff. And and Joffrey like threw a fit. He like throws a fit and he's like, I'm the king. And then Tywin Lannister is like, the king doesn't have to tell people he's the king. That's, man, look that those books that I read the books years before the uh, show came out, but I never forget Jamie Lannister. Yeah, not, I never watched the show, so I'm not sure how accurate accurate it is. But he had a line in the book that stuck with me forever since 2006, mm-hmm. and he said that only a fool humbles himself because the world is full of people who are ready to do that for him. Mm. And I was like, you know, in your book, Jamie's, and I, and I, again, I don't know what's in the, sto- in the show, but in the book, he was an asshole. He was like, he yeah. killed the king and he was a son of a bitch. But I'm like, he, that was some, one of the most profound things that I read. I was like, shit, you know, why humble yourself? Because <laughs> there's so many people ready to do that for you. Like, you should be your biggest fucking fan, man. Yeah. You should, you should be your biggest fan. Yeah. And actually, talking about that, Jamie Lannister, he is, in the series, he's actually my favorite character. In the beginning, he's a total scumbag. But yeah, yeah. He does have like a character arc where he changes. But what I really admire about him in comparison to a lot of the other characters is that he he has he grows and he changes, but he is always one hundred percent himself. He never betrays his own moral code. His moral code does evolve yeah. over time, but yeah. he always adheres to it compared yeah. to like Jon Snow and even like Rob uh, Stark, Stark who claim to believe one thing. Yeah. yeah. They compromise with themselves constantly. Constantly. People that constantly compromise who they are, you know, are so flimsy. You know, I, and I know it's, it's, we're all, I guess we're all like that. We all compromise a little bit and we're all, but in the Jamie's an asshole. But the thing about it, he's so authentic. He's just, that's who he is. You know, maybe if we all were like that, you know, who knows what, you know, things would be like. Um, I remember, I learned this lesson playing, uh, you ever played Mass Effect? Uh, I played it a little bit. I played the shit out of Dragon Age, though. So some similar Space experience. Age version. Space Age yeah. version. So, you know, in or Dragon Age, there's a there's two, two paths. You can be a paladin or I forgot, a rogue or an asshole. Yeah, either, yeah, either yeah. way, either a good guy or an asshole. So, and each they give you these these decisions in the games at key points where you can be an asshole about it and, and have an asshole decision, or you know you want to be the stand up, you know, good guy. Even if it means you got to lie a little bit and compromise. Right. So I went through the game as as an, in Mass Effect as a good guy. I'm just going to be a great guy. I want everybody to like me. I want to make make it look like I'm a hero. 
and I like I caused the genocide of people because <laughs> I wanted to be, and, and, it, and it broke my heart. My best my one of my best friends in the game committed suicide because I was, you know, I wanted mm. to be a good guy. So anyway, mm-hmm. and it, it haunted me for years. So I went back to the game years later, and I was like, ah, I, I'm just playing for fun. I saw me an asshole. So I actually saw saved saved the day so many different times because I was authentic and said the things that I wanted to say that felt right. right. And I saved the fucking day. And it was so, it was, in, it taught me a lesson. <laughs> yeah. This is something that I have uh, spoken about with my girl quite a bit. Um, love is not always nice. And I, I guess that kind of sounds fucked up when it's when I say I talk about it with my girl. But I mean, like her interactions with like her friends yeah. and with uh, like she has struggled with. Uh, Cause she, she's very, very full of love and kindness and wants people to feel loved when they're around her. And something that I've talked with her about several times is that idea that like love isn't always nice. Like sometimes to love people, you have to hurt their feelings. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I, uh, my dad told me an old story. I want to tell the story here, but it, it was pretty much about how um, people who, who shit on you aren't always, you know, out to get you. Sometimes mm-hmm. the shit. It was about a story about a bird who was flying, and uh, he fell in, in the snow. You heard the story? Oh no! The bird. Was I was flying. thinking a bird flying, and then the bird shits on you. That's what I was. No, imagining. no, no. The bird, okay. the bird falls in the snow. A dog comes. A uh, dog comes out. The bird says, "Hey, help me, help me." The dog turns around, and shits on the bird. The bird says, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so the bird's sitting there. But anyway, the cat comes up, and the bird says, "Help me, help me." The cat, all right, helps him up, cleans the shit off, eats him. So, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The moral of the story was people that the shit was keeping them warm. So, yeah. The moral of the story is people that, you know, they shit on you, sometimes they're helping you. And the people yeah. that want to treat you nice just want to, you know, exploit you. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that that it happens quite a bit. And that I think ties into the whole comfort zone thing. Like, if we only spend time around people who tell us the same can, things that we want to hear the echo chamber bullshit it drives me crazy it drives me because i have lots of friends on facebook and like, they say lots of fucking dumb shit that I, I disagree with but sometimes i i take it and i, and I think of like i guess like goggins and i i reflect on it and i do reflect on it and i and, I, and it does help me but i won't people are like, why don't you why do you why are you friends with this person they say these mean things they say this shit to you I'm like well that's who they are that's, that's yeah. Like, I can take it or leave it. Like, I don't. I don't have to respond to it. I don't have to be like, "Hey, you shouldn't say that shit, you motherfucker." Uh, right. All right, he said this shit. He's an asshole. All right. Yeah, and it's like the Buddha with the two arrows. Like, the first arrow, it, it's unexpected. It hurts. You know, it catches you off guard. But the second, the the second arrow is like pain and, and suffering, and while you can't avoid that first arrow of hardship or like pain or rejection or failure or whatever it is, that second arrow, once the, once the first arrow has your attention, you know the second arrow is coming and you can choose to move out of the way. And that really goes into like, you can choose how to feel about everything that happens to you in your life, literally everything. And we can choose to be grateful about stuff or we can choose to be upset about stuff. We can choose to learn from situations or we can choose to hide from situations. 
but it really is all just a matter of like, I guess it goes back to even earlier in the conversation I'm talking about, like, do you want to feel like a winner or do you want to grow? Yeah. Do you want to feel like you're there or do you want to feel like you're still at the beginning and that your potential is even bigger than where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about our, our self-worth as well. Sometimes, you know, people like they want to feel like a winner they want, at, yeah. sometimes at, at all costs at, at, at all costs. I have to feel that I have won the social game. Um, yeah. And, and the price well, is their long-term potential really. Yeah. You sacrifice your potential for the privilege of feeling like you won this argument. Something. <laughs> this, yeah. This thing avoided putting myself out there and, and, uh, Again, it's, it's it's scary. It's really scary that you know these are the same people. Though these these are people who are in charge of making major decisions <laughs> that affect all of us. Yeah, that's the most heinous part. Is that like these are basic human traits, and but these people also have power. You know, they they have influence. Like, reason why I'm paying insurance probably is because some jackass won't negotiate something up up top. <laughs> Well, that's where it kind of goes into like biblical myths. There's a few that have kind of come to mind in our conversation. The one is like the childlike heart, how the kingdom of heaven, depending on how you look at it, I think of it. And I think also biblically, like Jesus would have thought about it the same way. The kingdom of heaven is more like a state of mind that you can experience in the presence. Like you can have joy in your soul right now and essentially be in heaven in the present, or you can be in, I mean, the the hebrews called it sheol but hell that was the ancient hebrew word for hell and it wasn't a place that you go to in the afterlife it was a state of mind that you experience while you're alive hell was something that you would consciously experience during your lifetime um you know a, a state of despair you can choose to either be in that state of of joy and gratitude and love or in that state of, of struggle and despair and uh, so the idea of like having a childlike heart, having curiosity about the world that you live in and about the people who are in it, uh, allowing yourself to find joy and fun in the mundane, like that's what a child does and children are happy. And we cut all that stuff off because we're like, oh, like, I gotta yeah, be. I need, I need something external to fulfill me. Yeah, yeah. This. And then the yes. other thing that that brings to mind is the, the the meek will inherit the earth. That the meek and the humble end up getting more out of life. Perhaps arguing, you know, this is it's just one idea that some people have. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Yeah, but there's perhaps an idea that the people who are humbling themselves, not necessarily humbling themselves, but who are seeking, seeking the bottom, seeking the challenges, seeking the discomfort, uh, you get more life. It's like I said earlier, like children get more life in five years than that. Yeah. And then an adult will. Yeah. And, and like you said, I feel, I feel that. You can feel it right now. If I wanted to, I can make myself feel ecstasy. 
you know, just but just not even physically doing anything or drinking anything. If I just mentally go to a place, and I've done that, I, I do that at, when I go to my dentist. I'll yeah. like mentally, I'll go somewhere else. Um, like a va- I think about a vacation, I can just mentally I'm there, and if yeah. we can do that, uh, but it's just sometimes I feel like you're like you're running away. So it's just sometimes it's like sometimes you have to address, you know, barriers to your life that they make it harder that you know if you have to if i have to mentally take a vacation every time i go to work that just says something about my fucking job (laughs) right that says something about my fucking job like if i why don't why do i have to mentally do that and yeah so yeah you want to strike a balance in itself yeah it's dangerous in it to to just you know throw your head in the sand basically Mm -hmm. you know Unless there's no, when I worked at the hospital, a, a hospital, I was in the basement next to the morgue. It was, it, it didn't get more dreary than that, man. I heard, <laughs> and I heard just codes all day. This was right yeah. during COVID. People were dying mm. all fucking day. It was dreary, and I had to mentally, but it was, it, it was exhausting. I would come home and I would cry to my fucking wife, like once a week, cry, break down and cry because it was just, it was a pressure cooker. But I got the fuck out of there, man. I went. I worked at a cemetery, and let me—that was so peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like cemeteries now, dude. Like, like I believe in God. I believe in God, and I felt mm-hmm. like he like. All right, let me let me put you literally at the bottom of. The, I was at a hospital, and I was in misery, and he took me like. All right, now, now we're at that that damn cemetery. I was happy every day. Yeah. I was happy, <laughs> but. I feel like you have to feel that discomfort and you have to make, you have to want to be in a different place and you have to take those actions, you know, to, to, to remove yourself. But it starts with being uncomfortable and acknowledging that I'm uncomfortable. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like this. I don't, I don't want to be here. Like the back to the consent, you have to ask yourself, like, do you like this? Like, no motherfucker. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And if you don't, then that's where, then you really, and I mean, the Stoics talk about this all the time. That's figure out what you can control and do something about it. Yeah. And then if it's something that you absolutely can't control, then learn to love it. Yeah. yeah. Like if your family members, if a family member dies, you can't undo that. So you need to learn to live with that. But if you hate your job, you can do something about that. Oh yeah, and so you probably you should. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's your responsibility. Yeah, it's your responsibility. After twenty years, if you didn't fucking leave this job that you hate it, because just because, you you know, like oh no, it's it's your it's, you should have accepted response. You should accept responsibility for that. Yeah, yeah. People will complain. Oh, well, my boss didn't promote me. They didn't treat me right. They never listened. They didn't. They never gave me a raise. But if you tolerate that for five, ten years, it's your fault. Yeah, you put up with it, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and yeah, applies yeah, to relationships yeah. too. Yeah, I, I talked to my wife about this. I feel like marriage should be a contract. Well, it is a contract, but I think the terms should be renegotiated, like any contract. Five, mm-hmm. ten, and thirty years, or fifteen, fifteen, five. Ten, I, I amended it. Five, ten, fifteen, thirty years. So that's the five. The, you know, the first five years is the honeymoon phase. Everything's. You know, yeah. you pretty much learn about each other. You're like, all right, yeah. 
he doesn't do these things, she doesn't do these things, whatever. We, we, we negotiate. All right. If you want to re continue this marriage, <laughs> let's agree to these terms. If not, let's split up. So you hit 10 years. 10 years, people change. They grow older. It, it, uh -huh. A decade is a long time, man. Renegotiate those terms. Like, are we still on the same page? Like, we've had kids. We've done these things. We've survived this. Yes. All right, let's continue. 15 years, I feel like, is a good intermediate between 10 and 30. Mm -hmm. Because that other that decade and a half, you know, I feel like you really, you're either you're like this or you're just... And if you if you're good, yeah. you can do thirty. You're good. Thirty is just a formality. Like we're, we're yeah. stuck. <laughs> yeah, I imagine making it fifteen probably requires about the same amount of effort that making it thirty would require. Yeah, yeah thirty. I feel like if you can do fifteen, either you you really like each other. And if there's a, some kind of iffy stuff, like you still got time. Like, look, I, I spent 15 years with you, you motherfucker. Like, it didn't work out. Let's let's be friends. If it doesn't work, but right, if you really like each other, yeah, stay with each other, man. Yeah, but I swear, I feel marriage should be. I think it, it should be contracts with everything. <laughs> yeah, I think that people, especially young people, uh, and it depends on like, yeah. Yeah, and they they lock themselves into, and it depends on their like, what on their worldview and stuff like that. But they'll lock themselves into these agreements that they make when they're like eighteen or twenty two. Like you are it's not terrifying. going to be the same person when you're eighteen and when you're forty eight. You're not going to be the same person. Dude, and so to eighteen to twenty five, I feel like you change tremendously. Yeah, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that people can't and shouldn't get married at that age but i would advocate at the very least to and you're <laughs> having a mentality like what you just kind of expressed like yeah, understand <laughs> yeah understand that the agreement is going to need to be revisited and you got to fucking communicate that's what it really ties back yeah. into is you got to like do do you still consent <laughs> yes agreement <laughs> yeah. yes do you still agree to these terms you know yeah or do we need yeah, to change them? If you are enjoying this episode of the podcast, you may also like my other work, including fiction and nonfiction writing, original music, merchandise, and an online community. You can find all of this at www.christopherjfritz.com. And sometimes that's what's necessary. I feel, yeah, my, my biggest fear was marriage. But I, didn't, I didn't believe in marriage for a long time, dude. My biggest fear was of uh, getting with somebody and, and myself just becoming complacent, mm -hmm. you know, and just becoming this fat, slovenly person is like, like the sitcoms. I, yeah, I'm your wife, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, or myself doing the same, just becoming complacent and becoming uh, not a better person. Yeah. I, I stopped growing. I thought like I, I stopped. I was afraid I would stop growing um, and that the other person would stop growing. But I'm glad I my, my wife when I told you about that enthusiastic no, I love that we can have we can be uncomfortable around each other mm -hmm. and still come back and uh, just talk. You know, so that's that was a sign to me. Uh, back when I was in the hospital, when I I would come home and I would cry to her, <laughs> and uh, she would just you know just li just listen, and that's mm -hmm. it's when it hit me. I'm like I can I can I can see myself married to this this person, and um. 
because of of uh, just how easy it is to just communicate with her. Yeah. And, uh, I don't see how people can get married and they're like, oh, he, they never listen. They never listen. Like, why the fuck would you stick with this person then? Yeah. <laughs> why, why would you choose this? He's got a gun in your head? If he does, you need to call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think people people set out in search of magic, in search of... Hey. Uh, people set out looking for... They want the magic. They want the... Uh, the passion they want the fireworks and they think that that is what a good relationship is made up of but no it's made up of communication that's the number one that's the the first thing you need to look for is the ability to communicate to have hard conversations and again this applies kind of universally to all forms of relationships whether it's romantic relationships whether it's like a boss like if you have a boss you can't fucking communicate with then it's probably not a situation you want to be in long term no no, definitely not. And I learned that once I learned that I couldn't have a conversation with my boss at my last job, I was like, I got I to go. Like, I yeah. have to get, like, I took a pay cut. I took every, I, that's how I ended up at the hospital. Like, I knew that I was going downwards. And I just, I, I said, fuck it. Fuck that shit. And I jumped. I jumped. Yeah. And it was hard climbing, clawing my way back. <laughs> from the bottom, from the literal bottom. <laughs> but, Sorry, I'm getting some notifications here. You good? Are we going? How are we on time? Um, I'm good. It's three forty-two. If you have a like a cutoff time, just let me know. Okay. Um, We're we're running Facebook ads for my girl's new business, and what what always ends up happening anytime I run Facebook ads for anything, it's you start getting the spammers that are like, "Hey, we're Meta, and we're gonna cancel your account because you violated a policy." And they I've noticed those emails. Yeah, but it it's you check the send address, and it's like <laughs> I've I've seen some that are like the send address is literally like black hat. SMS like it like it's I guess that's Not some kind trying. of sending software but like yeah so it's yeah, obviously see, look, ha- even hackers have, hackers they, they, I, lo- I love their, their tenacity man I love these spammers and like they always got some new schemes and they're good they are yeah they're damn good they uh, I got you with one today <laughs> what they get you with Amazon Prime hey your Amazon Prime membership is about to expire we got some discount codes. And I was like, I don't have huh. Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if I did, I would have like, oh, what? what? I know I'm paying the bill. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, the people that that's effective on are the people who are overwhelmed with life. Maybe life's moving at a breakneck pace. They're overwhelmed by their anxiety, and so they react really quickly and not necessarily rationally to those triggers, and then they get themselves into trouble. Uh, and that's where I think, like, cultivating that inability to pause is one of the first. Th- yeah, with spammers and stuff like that is one thing, and it sounds it sounds kind of trite that I'm saying this, but I think it applies more widely even to like. If people are riling you up, if you're like dealing with shit at work, if you're dealing with shit in the real world, um, 
we allow our, we can allow ourselves to get riled up really easily. Oh, but yeah. if we practice pausing before we take action on something and like really feeling out the situation, we make better decisions. Yeah, but it's so hard, you know. We're like you said, we're moving at a breakneck pace, man. Like things are getting faster. We're getting more efficient, but we're getting less done. It's 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 incredible how we're like we have our cell phones to do this, we have our laptops to do this, and we can we can we can knock out a thousand tasks and we look back and like, fuck, I haven't done anything all day. Yeah. <laughs> but back in the day when we had just a, a bullshit ass phone and we were it, it it didn't feel like this. Like I felt like we we accomplished more back then. And uh, yeah, yeah, overstimulated. I think in modern times, there's like too much going on. There's a lot. There's a lot. I just my I just got an email about a contract we got, and I'm like I'm trying to like focus. And like I'm having a conversation, but I'm like, what's this contract say? Yeah, but I'm like. What, why do I need to fill up? Why do I need to, to know the contract details right now? Like, I should have this conversation. Yeah, I realized a couple of years ago, like, that just the, the way these apps and stuff are built, it's like, it's poisonous almost. Like, with the constant notification, like, I've gotten to the point where um, there's like, there's a tool that I use or there are, there are like tools that I'll like software tools that I'll use that have apps for like editing graphics or editing video or stuff like that. And they will send notifications to my phone. Like they, there's no content there. Like, what are you sending me notifications about? And so I went through and I turned off notifications for basically everything. Uh, yeah. I set my phone to not be able to vibrate and um uh, did it help yeah sorry i'm i'm talking about not being distracted but then i'm <laughs> you know, you got I'm notification. <laughs> yeah but yeah i found like when um back in the day i would i would be active on all these different social media apps and uh you get they they're set up to to steal your attention they're set up you get a notification when somebody likes something you get a, a notification yeah. when somebody you know, posted a comment under your some under your stuff now you get notifications for like when people haven't posted in a while and then yeah. they, someone in your note in your network then posts something and uh it's just like they're stealing your attention from your life and it doesn't seem like much because it, it bleeds you they bleed like, oh, it's just 30 seconds. It's, it's 20 seconds. But then you have to circle back around like, what was I doing? <laughs> mm. And what was the thing I was doing? Like, I, oh, yeah, I was trying to fix my fucking guitar. Like, oh, I'm going to watch a video real fast on how to do that uh, commercial. Like, oh, you know what? I didn't call my mother. <laughs> uh -huh. Notifications. Like, oh, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 minutes, four, four hours. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or like, oh. Guitar video. Well, what about this guy who's swinging a katana around? That looks cool. <laughs> yeah. The seven principles of Masashi. You didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I got back into reading, like actually fairly recently, like right at the end of last year, is when I finally got back into reading. I used to Dude. love reading. 
Dude, this is, I've never gone so long in my life without reading. In the last three years, it has been impossible to read. How did, what, what, how did you do it, man? <laughs> I mean, it was hard. Like for me, when I got back into reading, um, I kind of realized it was like, I don't read anymore. I don't read anything. Uh, so first, and, and I would sit down and I would try to like read a book and then I get like paragraph down and I'm fucking checking my phone. I get paragraph down. I, 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 I'm not focused. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't read anything. I get a few pages through and I'm like, I didn't retain any of that. And yeah. it was really frustrating. So, but I found I had to rebuild it like a muscle. Um, I started just by reading articles and stuff like that and started for like a year. I just, I stopped using social media as much. I stopped logging in. I logged out of a bunch of the stuff. I deleted the apps off my phone. And then I started spending more time just reading. I would yeah. read articles on medium. And then uh, at the beginning or at the, at the very end of last year is when I decided that I was finally going to fucking get into books. And what I would have to do is I'd have to put my phone in the other fucking room. Like I'd have to put my phone in the other room. I have to turn everything off and I'd have to treat it like trying to like, like trying to start working out. Like if you've been out of the habit for a long time and where it, it, yeah. it sucks and it's hard and you're bad at it. That's you how it was funny? with reading. It sounds more like the phone is like cigarettes. The phone yeah. sounds like, like what you, everything you described was like my struggle with quitting smoking cigarettes and it's it's what it feels like because I remember when I was addicted to sick smoking, I was like, all right, I just ate a meal, I gotta smoke. All right, I just mm -hmm. got to work, I gotta smoke. All right, I just did a thing, I gotta smoke. And like I feel like with the phone, it's like, all right, I posted that thing three hours ago. Well, let me see how I was doing. All right, yeah, cool. I got this notification. Hmm. All right, let me, let me respond to that. You don't know me, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> you know? but yeah, it's it's like it's like crack, and I was it hit me. Last last year, year before last, I was not even reading. I was trying to play fucking Final Fantasy Remake. Like, I've been dying for this game, dying to play this game. And as I'm playing it, I can't enjoy it because I'm always, I'm like, what am I doing? And I realized this, this was the problem. Like, I'm not enjoying the game because I'm on my phone, man. And, I, and I'm enslaved to it. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, some. I don't know, man. It's scary. It's, 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 this has been the hardest addiction to kick than I gave up coffee. I gave up, I, dude, I gave up coffee finally. I thought That's... that was the, the final boss. But it's nothing compared to this phone. Cigarettes, alcohol, uh, sex with crazy women, and, and uh, <laughs> coffee. I've given them all up. <laughs> but I have them occasionally. I enjoy it yeah. occasionally. Yeah. But this, how do I give this up, man? I feel like it's a shackle. Yeah, I um, I've actually been thinking about it a lot recently. Like, I I recently realized just how difficult it would be to even go twenty four hours without any like without using internet at all or without using technology at all, like without using any, anything digital. And it sounds so stupid. Like, I suppose if you're like going camping, it's easy because you're going somewhere else where you don't need any of that stuff. But to 
be but to do it at like in your normal life and try to set that set the boundaries around it it would actually be pretty difficult to go 24 hours in your normal life without without internet maybe not for everybody but i mean even for me like i know well, i would have those temptations yeah the thing is what's scary is that like you and i we're from an age where technology wasn't dominating wasn't so great mm-hmm. it wasn't such a prominent piece of our lives so if we're struggling with it I can only imagine what you know. People who were just who were grown, who were born into it, mm-hmm. and it's just been a natural part of their life. Like my son, it's normal for him to spend eight hours a day on a game. Like that's normal, right? But like when he's you know older, like is he ever gonna like think like it's not normal to spend eight hours a day <laughs> playing a you know a video game? And yeah. If, what if the technology you know is, is taken away? Like what is he gonna do? Like, but those are struggles that I don't. I don't worry about this. (laughs) I got my own. Yeah. But yeah, I've been thinking about like trying to set, trying to be more intentional about getting out of this digital world that we've created. And it it sounds so pathetic that it's even like a whole conversation that we have to have. Like it feels silly, but uh, it's what I think it is. I think it's it's inevitable, actually. I think that we won't be able to put the genie back in the bottle. Like we say, like, oh yeah, I want to be able to. Dis-. I think there's gonna come a day where, like, no, like, why would you? Why would you disconnect? Mm-hmm. Like, why would why would you do that? And that, no, like, this is progress. This is what we're meant to do. <laughs> Become digitized beings. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um... I mean, you got Elon Musk building his Neuralink thing. And I have thought about that as like life progressing. Cause I, I think of life as like an integrated organism. Yeah. And I was talking, my buddy was talking to me about how flatworms were like. I lost for a second, Chris. Yeah. Um, my buddy, I was talking to my buddy the other day about like just how predators evolved in biology and uh, how the first ones were like flatworms, I guess, and how they evolved was first they developed sight. They developed a new way to, to visually engage with their environment in a, in a new way. Then they developed a, a neural infrastructure to where they could do something with that new information that was coming in. Then they developed a, like a spine structure. So then they developed physical infrastructure that would allow them to act on the information that was coming in. So first they developed a way to take in new information with, yeah. with eyes. They developed a way to communicate essentially internally about that information and, and think about what they wanted to do about it. They're worms, so it's not like they were complex thoughts, but it was a new level of, of complexity. Then they developed the physical infrastructure. And if you look at technology, that's what we're doing now with technology. We developed microscopes and telescopes, which give us eyes that can take in a whole new realm of visible information that we didn't have access to before. Then we developed the internet, which is a place where we store 
all of that information that we've taken in about this new world that was not visible to us before. And then now we're finally building physical infrastructure. We're building ships, we're building robotics, stuff like that, that allows us to actually act on those, those new things that we can see. It's kind of an interesting thought, but it's like evolution at a macro level. I, no, I love that. I love. I never thought about it. It's just <laughs> like as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, like like you said, it's what if we're just what what if this all of this is just like one. No, I don't even go there. But yeah, no, that's that's wild, man. One big circle. Elton John said, "A circle of life." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been watching a lot of esoteric. And conspiracy theories is like I guess because you know it's what happens when you turn forty. <laughs> so I've just been reading and, and, and falling and going just willingly going into those rabbit holes um, because I'm like you know I feel like I I firmly believe in what I believe in kind of like you know for a long time I was, I was my sexuality was kind of fragile because I was like I, I don't want to do anything because I don't want to look like I'm gay but now mm-hmm. like, I like I know I'm not gay I well. I think maybe we're all a little gay, but anyway. Right. <laughs> I know what yeah. I like. Anyway, I digress. Back to the conspiracy theories. I know what I believe in. So I was like, let me see what other people, well, let me see, you know, what are these other beliefs and these other theories out there? Like, well, there's no harm in just hearing them. And I'm like, this is kind of plausible. There's right. a lot of, that's a lot of wild shit, man. But I'm like, fuck, now I, <laughs> it, it's really plausible. This is a, I can see this, you know, being like my thing now is like, what if we are living in a simulation? Right. Like, you know, uh, there's no way that we can disprove it. There's, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no way that we can disprove that this is all just a big simulation. Uh, like you said, like, I love when we say like, oh, I'm not programmed that way. Or he's not programmed. Like, you're not programmed, hey? Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Program, yeah. Uh, <laughs> simulation. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's where I consider myself. I've started talking about it a little bit more recently, but I consider myself a, a panentheist, which is a really just a really fancy word for I believe in like a cosmic intelligence, and I believe that the universe exists. So I believe both of those things exist. I believe they interact with each other. And I believe that they influence each other. And so what that would look like in a metaphor is like Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien exists. The Lord of the Rings exists. What Tolkien experienced in writing the Lord of the Rings probably changed Tolkien. And as Tolkien changed, the possibilities of what could unfold in, in the Lord of the Rings changed. And it, be, it created this feedback loop, loop of both of them influencing each other and having a relationship with each other, but one where there's still a barrier there that they can't cross. Tolkien could have written Frodo to know that he was a character in a a book. And even then, how could Frodo prove it? Or disprove it? And how could, even, even if Frodo knew that he was a character in a book, how could he ever have like a one-to-one relationship or conversation with Tolkien? And, and if you take it into like the video game realm, like Mike, the liar in Skyrim, yeah. that Khajiit that you bump into in the wilderness every once in a while, and he right. breaks the fourth wall a lot. Like 
he's he's written as a character that knows he's a character in a video game yeah and it seems like when, when we experience that it kind of seems silly it's like oh like that's that's funny but then it's Steve, like Stephen king does it <laughs> oh yeah i think um oh we talked about it on our phone call i think uh when we last talked you told me about stephen king writing his characters in there uh yeah, or he does, writing he, he does interacting with him yeah it's good but it's, yeah it's goofy but and so I, yeah what you're saying yeah i didn't yeah that's again and the thing with simulation theory, um, I think it's the Nick Bostrom paper. What he had, what he ends up arguing is that if we exist in a world where it's possible to build a simulation that's so realistic or that's so real that uh, it becomes like that, it's a it's a universe that it exists then the odds of us of it not having been done the odds of the odds would be bigger for us to be in a simulation if if we exist in a universe where it's possible to create universes inside of it it's far more likely that we are in a universe that was created inside of another universe than it would be for us to be the first universe ever just oh, the yeah. way that the odds would fall out yeah and as we continue to build like the metaverse and stuff like that and i think about like if you took cognitive behavioral therapy and integrated it with like virtual reality that was so real that you could go into a, a simulation and experience the things that you're struggling with and learn how to overcome them by living a lifetime inside this virtual simulation thing. Like they put you on anesthetic, run this program thing in the, in the Neuralink thing that Elon Musk put in your brain. And then they make you deal with your bullshit in a lifetime, like in a digital lifetime by doing like taking like cognitive. If, if there was a future where that could exist, then it would probably look a lot like what life actually is where you yeah. go in and like the things that we deal with. And so I don't necessarily think that that is what is, but I'm not afraid to because ask questions thing, like that. Yeah. It's just that there's so many theories. Like there, there's this whole theory that our consciousness is, is holographic. It's, it exists somewhere else and we're just, but anyway, I'm not afraid to listen to these theories. Like I remember before where I would be scared, you know, our religion would prevent us from like, right. don't go down those rabbit holes of knowledge. He increases knowledge, also increases sorrow. And so stay ignorant, <laughs> the less you know, the better. And it's like, I, mean, I can see that. I can see the appeal of that. And there are some things I don't want to know. I don't like like ghosts and shit like that. Like I don't want to believe in that shit. So I don't. I don't right. read shit about that. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. believe. I do not. That's one thing I do not want to fuck with. Or not not ghosts, but like curses and shit like that. I right. don't think ghosts exist because think of all the fucked up shit that happened to people and like it did nothing. Their, their killers lived a long happy life, like all the Nazis. They killed millions of Jews. Went on living in the Bahamas. Yeah. And shit. Yeah, like what happened to all the Jews ghosts? What all? What happened? Yeah, they'd, so, they'd probably be fucking shit up. Yeah, yeah. yeah all the all the slaves. Like you know yeah. how many people were oh, yeah. atrocities. All the and not one ghost like got real revenge. Like no, I don't believe in that shit. Yeah, but I forgot where I was going with that. 
<laughs> there's so many different things to believe in. And I think, you know, you shouldn't close your, 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 uh, your mind to things. And there's many ways to look at, at stuff. Like the idea of generational curses that you see in the Bible. Uh, now, modern, psycho like modern psychology has revealed like, epigenetic trauma being passed yeah. down. So trauma and, and things like addiction and shit like that, it passes down in, the, in your genes. And so literally what happened to your ancestors, like you will experience the fallout from that simply by being born. Like you carry that trauma on your genes for generations. Yeah. And so then the idea, like that biblical idea of there being of gen, generational curses makes more sense and from a scientific, scientific standpoint, because yeah, on your genes. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I do believe in that part. The body keeps the score. You ever read that book? Uh, no, I haven't read it. It's a oh, really, really good book about it. I've seen really it, though. Yeah, no, it's probably one of the, one of the best books about it. And um, yeah, I, I think that we do carry the trauma. I talked to my mother about it. And like mm -hmm. a lot of this, like I remember I said how my anxiety works. And so I talk, I went and I talked to her and I was like, fuck, like I was doomed from the start, like to, to be, to have this, the kind of anxiety that I have is because of what she went through while, while she was uh, young, younger, and even while she was carrying me. I'm like, I didn't find out my dad was my real dad, wasn't, wasn't my real dad until I was 28. They didn't tell me and I didn't have a clue, but I imagine what she must have went through back when she was when she was carrying me, and I'm like, that's this is probably why I have this 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 uh, the anxieties that I have. Um, but no, I, I really believe I, I'm really studying epigenetics and that we can change though. We can mm -hmm. change, dude. We have the ability to 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 create new neural pathways and even renegotiate those past experiences by envisioning them happening and occurring differently. You know, in a more I ideal kind of way. And uh, I think it's cool. I think the human brain is, is so cool in this. But it, it also is it's a double-bladed sword. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sometimes that's where I think of like, because we take the idea of like being created in the image of a creator. Uh, I think that that means that we too are creative. Like, I don't think it means that God has a beard and five and 10 fingers. Uh, I think it means that we have a creative consciousness in the same way that the creative consciousness created everything that exists at like a mental level. This is like the Kabbalion. It's like Napoleon Hill, like stuff like that. Uh, I, I sort of see things like that. And so the idea of using the mind to heal the mind, I sometimes think that like, maybe that's what the universe is, is doing with, with everything, all the stories, because stories are how you heal. Like you have to, you shift the narrative. You use the mind to heal the mind through stories. And what is the universe, but a massive story and, yeah. or perhaps a massive collection of stories. And so ideas of like reincarnation and stuff like that. I used to always like, really, like, I just never really understood reincarnation. I was like, I find it highly improbable that like if, if you're, a really well-behaved cockroach, you'll reincarnate as a human. I was like, that. none of that stuff makes sense to me. But recently, I've kind of started rethinking things. And I was like, what if 
at a universal level, all lives are, are past lives. Like, cause we're oh, all yeah. part of the same thing. And yeah, so oh, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily it's not that we progress, it. but that everything's happening from a universal perspective. Everything is happening at once. And everyone, everyone that exists is actually just a different reflection of the same cosmic consciousness, learning different lessons. Oh, yeah. And so in that sense, perhaps all lives would be our past lives that you over there are me and I'm you just different. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, like you said, it, I think everything is cyclical. I, I, I take this comfort that everything that we see on the earth, well, I, not maybe not everything, but is from the earth, like the earth, like the, the computer, right. everything in this, in the computer, came from the earth like it was made all the components and everything and i take comfort the only thing i worry about are the fucking octopus <laughs> I, I, back to your thing about flatworms they said that uh, fucking, yeah. what an octopus fit into this whole um yeah no yeah. evolutional thing because they because they 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 find out that they are they're aware they're they're aware man and they they get bored they do shit mm -hmm. out of boredom like like we do and they, the only thing about them, though, is that they have these very short lifespans. They don't they don't live long because they're anti-social as fuck. They're not they're not social yeah. <laughs> at all, mm -hmm. and uh, they don't like to do new things. Like, which is which is wild. But they haven't really evolved. But I feel like if they could, they were more social, like monkeys. <laughs> they would yeah, they would have been the... dominant. Yeah. They were... Yeah, I've specifically talked about the comparison of like octopus intelligence to human intelligence before, and they do things, of, man. They're incredible. Yeah, one of one of the main things that sets us apart isn't it's not I it's not like an IQ thing. Like IQ is like potential. IQ is like what you could learn, and it's yeah. not that octopus are capable of learning less than we're capable of. It's that in an octopus's lifespan, everything it, it learns. It is going to learn through trial and error alone, and it's not going to pass it down to anyone. And so every octopus starts at square one. That's great. Humans, on the other hand, write books. <laughs> they write books. They work together. And what one, what one human learns, all humans can know. That's pretty, yeah. And so humans have become a human in isolation is functionally a prey animal but humanity has become the dominant species in on our planet and it's because collect we work almost like a collective organism we we've shared our intelligence we pass lessons through time in a way that other animals do not and so it's the collective aspect of our existence that has made us so powerful. And I think that that's a really important thing for us to meditate on in these times where, especially like in the United States, uh, there's a fiercely individualistic mentality. Yeah, yeah. But we yeah, are I, strong because we're together. Eight, eight stronger together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but you no, know, when you put it like that, it makes me feel so proud. It makes me, you know, of, of our, our species. Like it's, like you said, it's so in, in the we're talk, we're so divided, but at the same time, like we should be so fucking proud of like how to get. I know it sounds fucking cliche and cheesy as fuck, but when you said that, I was like, yeah, you're right. What one man knows, 
all of man can know. One man's discovery can change all of man, every man. It has. It, it repeatedly has. does. And that's fucking incredible that we have that potential. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's one mind. We have a shared mind. And I mean, Jung talks about this, like the collective consciousness, consciousness and yeah. some of the other. Uh, but yeah, the human mind is really, it's a collection of kind of all, all the conversations that we have, all the things that we learn and the amount of knowledge contained in humanity far surpasses what can be contained in a single human mind. But that's why we continue to grow, continue to dominate. And it does create an interesting discussion regarding stuff like artificial intelligence and technology and stuff like that, because that we have already functionally become cyborgs. Like we're using technology to see more of the universe we're using yeah, technology to store, yeah to store our information uh and now we're using technology to manipulate the known universe and so technology is kind of a part of humanity and if it's kind of a part of life yeah yeah no um singularity mm -hmm. you know, or i feel like we can't we want to resist it but i, I feel like Resistance is futile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> resistance resistance is futile. There, we're gonna come a day where, like, why do you still have a flesh, one hundred percent fleshy body? Like, why why would you do that? Like, it's like storm bananas. Like, why would you, you know, you know, they go bad, and, you know, well, up, upgrade. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I think it probably wouldn't look so much. I think there's a. We cling to our existence. And so I think a lot of people look at it like, oh, like one day in the future, we're going to be uploading our consciousness into the cloud. into a new shell or something like that. But I actually think that's probably not what it's going to look like. I think it's going to look more like Genesis, like the, the book like of the Bible, Genesis, where in the beginning you have whatever came first, like creates a creation. That creation is able to do things, but it doesn't have knowledge. This is kind of where we're at with AI right now. Like AI can do, and robotics and technology can do a lot of stuff, and it, it can and will outlive any individual human. Even though we create technology, technology out, can outlive any, any one of us. What it doesn't have right now, you take things like ChatGPT, is continual access to knowledge. It doesn't, we haven't, we're, we actually intentionally, because we're afraid, we don't want to give it the ability to yeah. completely learn on its own. Uh, but that's, yeah, yeah. we see that same kind of mechanism happen in the Genesis Nature. story. Yeah. Like the idea of the creator not wanting the creation to have knowledge because yeah i didn't think about that you're right and the reason wow. is that it would is that the creation because in the garden they had access to the tree of life and to the tree of knowledge but it was like you can live forever but you can't live forever and know everything like that yeah. was that was the rule but now we're kind of in a situation where possibly <laughs> technology whatever whatever we create with artificial intelligence could perhaps have both and yeah. it, like colonizing space might look less like 
and I'm talking like totally out of my ass here to a certain extent, but colonizing space might look less like humans going out in spacesuits and terraforming other planets to be more like ours. It might be more like us creating technological life of some kind and sending yeah. it to place that's optimized to thrive in different environments. And that's how we would spread intelligent life. Oh yeah. Not just that, but um, they can laugh, laugh, um, sustain themselves. Well, it won't die. <laughs> right. Like, you, yeah. Like I said, sci-fi sold us a dream that, you know, we're going to be sending people in deep sleep, you know, millions of years away and they're waking up and they're like, Oh yeah, let's colonize. And then like, you'll never get back to earth. Like by the time you, <laughs> you send a message back to earth, it's millions of years have passed. So what's the point? But I think it's super interesting. Have you ever watched uh, the movie Ghost in the Shell? No, no, no. I think I... Is that animated? It's an anime movie. Okay. It I've came seen out, the ads, but I haven't watched it. It came out in 96, 97. Okay. And I, I just watched it recently, and it's, it's, it's kind of eerie because it's about what we're going through right now. This is, this was, this is a movie from 30 years ago. But it's about artificial intelligence and, and organics and the, the interactions of the, the uh, that where things shift. Where it's like, oh, the, like I said, the genie's out of the bottle. We can't do anything but go forward now. But what I loved about the movie was just how, because I've seen it back in the 90s. So back in the 90s, I was a, a teenager. It was, a, it was about, you know, kung fu robots. But the philosophical story, the ending was so optimistic it was beautiful man because i was yeah i'm scared of AI, ai technology and stuff like that too but when i watched this story that i, I won't spoil it but watch it's your homework watch that movie yeah um because the ending was really profound and like there it the, uh, the outcome is more optimistic than you would think um because right now it's we're on we're on the precipice it's, not, it's unknown like we it, it, you turn into the terminator <laughs> The right. future could be like the Terminator, or it could be, you know, maybe not Utopia, but just a better version of what we got now. And that's what Ghost in the Shell kind of it, it poses that question, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a little hope for the future. Yeah, and there's certainly even some existential questions to ask with that too. It's like, what is the right thing to do? Like, if if our way of living is flawed, and we were able to create an intelligence. <laughs> that could identify that and fix it, even if it made things really, really uncomfortable for us, would that be better if it's making, th like if what we're doing is wrong, would it be better for the universe, for AI to intervene? Or would it be better for us to continue doing what we're doing, even if it's like not efficient or something like that? Um, there's perhaps a question to ask there. But then the other thing that I think of is like, again, going back to that biblical creation idea, you see something happening there, happen there where the creator, actually the creator is, God refers to itself as we in Genesis, which is kind of an interesting thing. So it's yeah. we, you know, if humans eat of the tree if the intelligent if the life if life eats of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge then they'll they'll be like us is the the fear that god has in the beginning and god refers to itself as we in the genesis story and then uh so the answer is 
life has the capability to reproduce and then it gets it gets knowledge and so they send it out of the garden this life was created in the garden it occupies the garden this is like where where ai is right now it's like in the garden but then it reaches a point where it's like okay well it can't be where we are anymore we have to we have to send it somewhere else but then just a couple of chapters later you have abraham and you get the story of be fruitful and, and multiply and it, it abraham is sent forth with god's blessing just a couple of chapters later yeah and i feel like it's kind of a crazy parallel to what we see happening now with technology. Oh yes. It's like I said, we're, I feel like we're on the precipice of something really, maybe not, maybe not next 20 years, maybe not, not even next 50, but next hundred years. Cause think about hundred years from, from now, from, from here, the things that are, that are happening. If we, if we try to explain something to somebody hundred years ago. They're like, what? So right. I imagine a hundred years, but we're at a breaking point where like, yeah, something, something is going to happen. There's going to be a, a, a revolution and things are going to change. I don't, I just don't know. I, I, I want to stay positive about it, but you know, I'm, who knows? I'm not going to be here. So, or maybe I'd be reincarnated and they bring my ass back here. And right. I'm like, Fuck! Fuck! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to deal with this. Um, I don't know. It's all fun. It's a, it's it's interesting stuff, man. And it's, it's it's I love that humans like we fear and we think about these things when we know we're not gonna fucking be here. Yeah. <laughs> but we we have this anxiety about it. <sighs> and that's and I like to think of life itself as like an organism, and we're looking if, out for the next ones. <laughs> yeah, like a human life. From the perspective of life itself is gonna is gonna be inconsequential and it's gonna be like very short it's gonna be like us thinking about like a second and so on like if life itself if life itself possessed will and wanted to continue being alive then anywhere in the universe that it emerged it would essentially enter into a race against the cosmos to escape its garden where it began before it gets destroyed because the sun's eventually going to blow up but before then the earth is going to get hit by meteors uh, there's going to be catastrophic storms there's going to be volcanoes there's going to be all sorts of stuff and so while life on earth is highly optimized to continue living on earth the way it is what it's scarily optimized it said what it can't said, do is get off planet <laughs> which is highly convenient yeah. <laughs> that, that that there's a rule that there's nothing going to go faster than the speed of light you know they said that the moon the way it's designed it shouldn't be there so I, again that's why i feel like this is like i said there's some greater intelligence at work and it's pumping the brakes like i said the, the creative intelligence why did it create these rules mm -hmm. what, what, you know what are you why why do we have these stipulations why why, why create humans in the first place you know why create anything what's the there's always a you know a, a will like all right there's a stimulus and then there's a response to the stimulus what's the stimulus to, to create and that makes me think 
again, that whole parallel of like being created in the image of a creator, I think that whatever made all of this, like probably made this for the same reason that we make stuff. It was bored. And the act of creating, like for us, when we create stories, when we do creative stuff, that's when we really come alive. Like otherwise we just are kind of waiting around to die. And so creativity is like, it's the act of life itself. And um, so I think I tend to align with like the Stoics who believe in the logos and they believe in an ordered universe and like a, an orderly cosmos and like a cosmic consciousness. That's how I tend to see things because I feel like there's a, a dominance of patterns. Um, but also just in general, like you can't tell a story without rules and patterns and without thing, you know, without order. Yeah. It's just, it's not possible. And so yeah. if whatever the creator intelligence, if it wanted to tell a story, it would have to create an order of the universe for the story to unfold in anyway. Yeah. And it's the yeah. same thing we have to do when we want to write books or make video games. Sorry for interrupting. No, 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 no. I think yeah, I think it's super interesting, and I think that you know it's crazy that we're not going to get the answers, <laughs> but we're okay with it. We're like, oh, okay, we're not going to get the answers, and uh, I think it's kind of beautiful that you know we're okay with that. We're we're here so we're here so briefly. Like humans are lost. We're, we're so and we spend that time like <laughs> pondering. Mm-hmm. and obsessing and instead of just you know existing i think there's something comforting about the idea that we're not the main characters yeah 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 it's very comforting that that pressure is not there <laughs> mm-hmm. that yeah I, I was reading something uh, that's long ago and it was about how there's power and you know that nobody gives a fuck about you like mm-hmm. nobody nobody cares about you like and there's comfort in that because you don't have you can do whatever you really pretty much want. But it, I don't think that's 100 percent true. People there are people that care about you and care what you do, right? But as far as like in the, in the world at large, like taking risks, like what? Like yeah, why not take the risk? Mm-hmm. Unless it's something that's going to land you in jail. Or... <laughs> All right, within reason. But but yeah, when I had my kind of like religious and existential crisis in early 2019. I remember it was, it was like early February. It was three o'clock in the morning. I wasn't sure if I existed or if I even wanted to. And, uh, I remember being in tears and, um, I Googled, can there be good without God? Like that was the big thing. Cause I was, I was coming out of, my worldview of like my kind of narrower Christian worldview that I had held at the time. And I believed like with the Calvinists and stuff like that, that man was inherently flawed and evil and that it was impossible to be good without God. And that was troubling to me because I had came to a realization where I was like, Oh, I don't really believe in like, I didn't believe in, the gospel as it had been portrayed to me at the time anymore anymore like i knew i didn't believe 
how things were claimed to have been laid out. But I was really struggling with the problem of good and evil. And I, I still believed that I was inherently evil. And I was like, if I am inherently evil and incapable of doing good, I don't want to exist. And that's how I kind of came to philosophy. Uh, it was, I was crying in my bed at three o'clock in the morning in, in February of 2019. And I Googled, can there be good without God? Yeah. And it kind of took me down that rabbit hole of like realizing that there's, there's some nuance to like what is good and what is evil. And that on a cosmological scale, nothing really matters probably maybe yeah it's like bohemian rhapsody you know but then to me it was like oh if i'm not the main character and nothing matters then like you said i can do what i want and even if even if i'm not quote unquote a good person i can still do the things that a good person would do i don't have to be a good person to do the things that a good person would do but then that's the irony there, because then if I start doing the things that a good person would do, maybe I'll maybe I'll become one. And it, it really put the ball. It gave me an internalized locus of control as far as like who I was and who I was going to become instead of being this creature that was inherently evil due to some curse called original sin that had been passed down through the bloodline. Instead, there was a potential. There was a choice. I didn't have to do evil. I didn't have to do wrong. There was a potential to align myself with better. Uh, yeah. I don't know for a fact if that is the case, but I have found since shifting that perspective, life became easier to live because I guess I started to believe that it was capable for me to act more like the type of person that I had previously only ever admired. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, I get it. I um, understand what you're saying about how wanting to do better, you know, despite that, you know, you're, you're programming. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an evil person, but, you know, back to the Jamie Lannister thing, like, I love that he could be such a, you still hear me, Chris? Can you still hear me, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, how he could be such a genuine character, but he's an asshole, man. Right. He, he's, a, he's like, at the start of the, of the opening, yeah. like he's a, he's a bad <laughs> yeah. guy. Uh-huh. But by the middle and the end, we're rooting for this guy because he mm-hmm. changed. Like he was, I'm not saying he redeemed himself, but you felt, and I think that's because we identify with characters like that versus a, a heroic, you know, perfect being because that's just not real. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it is, but it takes time for a person to reach that kind of level. Right. And um, I love that you said you woke up in the middle of the night with this this feeling of inspiration, you know, like that's because that's what it pretty much what it sounds like. You were inspired, like it, to change, it, it challenged you in your beliefs at the time. But yeah. Think about it. If you hadn't been challenged, you would have been going along with whatever you had been believing in. It wouldn't be so bad, but you wouldn't have grown. 
Yeah, and I mean, I was in a pretty dark headspace back then because just the cognitive dissonance and everything, and the keeps like, it. Yeah, and so I was coping with alcohol and, and just all the stuff, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, sexual crazy there. women, like all the stuff that you the the list, <laughs> you know, the the, uh, the, the vices, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a way to check out of life because I I didn't know what to do with life, and so the only thing that I could do was stop paying attention and so that's where all those toxic coping mechanisms came in because i didn't know what to do with life yeah nobody gives you a fucking manual and says like hey <laughs> this is what you do uh, I, I i find it so crazy that my, my sister when she passed um i didn't go to therapy i did not go to therapy ever i didn't i didn't know it was even i mean maybe i knew it was an option my mom, I asked her, she's like, oh, I went to therapy. I'm like, what, bitch? Like, right. <laughs> you let a 19-year-old boy suffer with something that traumatic? Like, I smoked, did all the things because I was so, I was, dude, I was such an angry person. And I didn't know why for years. And and then finally somebody said something in fucking 2014 or 15. They said, grief doesn't have an expiration date. I'm at work. Mm-hmm. Somebody casually said some dumb shit like that, and I burst into tears because <laughs> mm-hmm. I had an epiphany. I'm like, what? <laughs> but it was wild that I went all that time. Um, but I love that, it, and I did finally have that changing moment, and that I really reevaluated. And it's crazy that knowledge is such a demonized kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you can't live forever, and you can't have knowledge. Why not? Like, because if you know everything, you know, you might know too much. Like, right. Why? So, but I, maybe re- I, think of, I think about reincarnation. I love about it. My my concept of it is that we kind of go into this, this uh, uh, dishwasher of souls kind of thing. I feel like we go in, our souls are kind of, we forget everything. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're put into this vat of souls, soul juice. Yeah. That's like, um, <laughs> Did you ever read The Republic by Plato? No. Uh, that's what Socrates talks about right at the end. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. You go into the river, you drink something that makes you forget everything, and then you jump back in the river and you get taken up, and you're taken okay. up, and then you reincarnate as somebody else. Yeah. I think it's kind of neat because, you know, what if I, you know, I was a terrible person? Like, can, I, I can imagine like having to deal with all my past life bullshit, or mm-hmm. if I was a good person, but. I think it's kind of neat that we get a second chance if reincarnation is in the cards. Right. But well, the nice thing about that is that you can apply the metaphor to a single life too. Like I don't have to do anything that I did yesterday ever again. And so if I don't like what I did yesterday, I can stop. Yeah. And that's what, that was the realization that I had, you know, when I kind of had my like existential crisis and I was like, and I was like, I don't want to be this person anymore. And that's what I realized was like, I don't have to be, I can be someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that easy. It's that easy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's where Epictetus does it a lot. He's like, do what you would do if you were who you wanted to be. Yeah, these Greek guys, man, they were on some shit, man. <laughs> these guys, I was, uh, 
uh, you ever read a book of the secrets, secret knowledge of the ages, secrets of the ages? Ah, fuck, I can't think of the name of it. But it talks about all of those old philosophers and how they passed down and, and who did what. Because, you know, you hear these names, but secret teachings of the ages. You ever, you ever heard of that book? Mm-hmm. You, you, like, you, you would like that book. But it's about pretty much uh, masonry. Okay. Uh, it was written in the 20s. So it kind of, st- <laughs> of course, it stops right there. Right. But it goes all the way back to, you know, these ancient um, brotherhoods. Mm-hmm. They shared this. They shared knowledge, and they they, were, they had this conflict, and they would just share knowledge, man. And like, I feel like Facebook is kind of like that now. Facebook and these social media, maybe not Instagram. It's more vapid, but yeah. I think sometimes we have this. We we do have conversations though. Like, there is for me, there is value in my interactions on Facebook. There, there's so much value in uh in uh, Instagram on. Not the picture part, but just the conversations that happen in real mm-hmm. life. Because I'll post something, and then in life, somebody will po- will approach me, and I say, "I felt that way," or "I went through that same thing," or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm vulnerable on those webs on those platforms, so that I can have those conversations with other people, so they can feel that they can have those conversations with me. Because I get so many messages from people who are like, "Man, I, I really love what you said," and we'll talk for for a minute. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's where I like to say you get what you give. Like when we share the real shit with people, some it, it becomes a rope that people can use to climb out of their shit. Yeah. Yeah, that somebody helped me. Uh, not my existential crises, but uh, I was just going through a real dark period right before my son was born. I all my shit came to a head. All of the crazy sex with crazy women and the drinking and all that stuff came to a head. And that year was pivotal. But what got me the rope that saved me was this rapper. And like, you know me, I'm a metalhead. Mm-hmm. But this rapper, he rapped about video games, but he intertwined it with his real life experiences. He was just like me. Like he was, you know, just a regular dude. But and he but the way he intertwined video game um, references into real life, and it made me think. Like I, I came through so much shit, man. I've been through mm-hmm. so much shit, and that he, the way he tells the story, story, like you said, he tells the most beautiful stories, and that helped me. That gave me like, that gave me strength, man. When they say like your music saved me, this guy's music saved me, and uh, it's, it was powerful, man. I, as I met, I met the guy. Um, few years ago i fucking cried when i met him that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah he, he's like because he hit me with like do i know you no like no you don't but i know you yeah <laughs> <laughs> you never met me but i know you yeah <laughs> and uh yeah no that rope that rope all you need man it's all you need sometimes to get out of you know that rut yeah, and I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the power of stories. Like stories are the thing are how we can give that rope to people, whether it's through music or through books or through you know television, like me yeah. like movies and stuff like that. Like that's why these these stories can can have such an impact because 
like when you experience a story, it's like experiencing a life. And for me, like 21 Pilots, Tyler Joseph, his lyrics and stuff like that, for me, it was the same deal. Like he happened to speak just a language that I understood because he was having a lot of crisis of faith and stuff like that that he expresses in his lyrics. And yeah. I picked up on it because it was, it was things that I understood because of where I was in my life. And I felt less alone. Yeah. And that's, that meant, meant the world, right? Mm -hmm. I know. I, uh, I, I saw somebody posted about the guy was, there's a whole movement against books now. Uh, some guy said books are for pussies too afraid to experience life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Like, oh man. Yeah, I see it too. There's a certain there's like a mentality growing that's like books don't have that's any it. value and stuff like that. I think that's, that's silly. Humans, humans, man, we find ways to be divisive over anything. Yeah. Like even if we if we all went colorblind tomorrow, we would still find some way to to categorize each other and made each other oh your nose is too angular oh you piece of nosy piece of shit <laughs> nosy <laughs> yeah yeah I'm finding through, i'm playing through skyrim and uh right now and i'm going at, through as a dark elf and like i'm waiting for somebody to call me a darkie like <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> knife ears yeah, yeah some, some some kind of racial slur yeah like, because I forget that I'm an elf. And I'm like, why did they call me that? Like, oh, I'm an elf. I'm a dark yeah. elf at that. Not even a high elf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that... Um, that's why it's just important for us to put ourselves out there, put ourselves... I guess it's just... It is kind of circular. It does kind of beg the question of like, why is it all happening in the first place? That's, but that's, yeah. Jordan that's Peterson says, uh, he says, you grow to the burden that you choose to carry. And I think that that's key. Like, when we live only for ourselves, it makes it hard to be strong. But the more people that we include in ourselves, then the more we increase our potential. And I think that's the difference between someone like Nero and someone like Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Marcus, yeah, Marcus Aurelius. I read about, finally read about him and how incredible he was, and just, just a good, good person, just for the sake of being a good person. Like, and that's rare. Like, that's such a rare, and it shouldn't be though. I think at our core, at, at people's core, we're all we're pretty good. Most people are pretty good. Nobody wants to just do. Well, maybe there are, <laughs> but most people don't want to just visit evil on, on someone else. I see other kids playing and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love watching kids play because it, it's you're, you're getting a hundred percent human, mm -hmm. <laughs> Un, unfiltered, un hopefully, well, not maybe not a hundred percent, but 
you know, it's such a beautiful thing. And uh, I was watching my son at that video game thing yesterday. And uh, some of the kids around him were like speaking in the like, awe. They're like, look at him go. Like, he, got, he has this many kills. And there was one kid, he's like, oh, this kid, he's, he's trash. He's trash. And, uh, and we're, uh, he, my son, he's just playing his game. And, uh, but I just, I loved it. Just seeing the little boys just, you know, just be themselves. Yeah. And I was like, you the kid that said my son was trash. I kind of looked at him I'm like, like, you're not at home in your bedroom, son. Like, we can all hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in the real world. <laughs> uh, and he like, but yeah, man. It's, I love that, you know, you get to, I, I love the period that we're in right now. Like, we're in such a, a cool kind of era in human history. You know, like, to have these kind of conversations. And maybe they could have these conversations back in ancient Roman stuff, but not like this. Yeah, I think technology allows... That's, that is one of the more beautiful things about technology is that for some people it can be hard to meet people that they can have conversations like this in their towns. Yeah. in their communities, in their physical communities. And that's where that technology enables us to connect with people who think like us, who we can learn from. And so we can grow faster and more efficiently, perhaps, than if we're like, especially it's it rectifies loneliness in a way that uh, perhaps otherwise it would be I don't know. Maybe people would be more lonely without technology, or maybe they would be less lonely. I'm not really certain. Well, uh, back back in the '90s, you felt less alone. I don't know. I can't. I can't explain it. I felt less alone um, 15, 20 years ago. Like I, the loneliness I feel to, today sometimes is 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 so intense. Like I could be talking to like 30 people, but I. I can feel so alone and it's wild. I, I can't I can't describe it. That's interesting. I feel like we see the impacts of that even more so with like younger people who spend even more of their lives in like the digital space. Cause like every young person is it seems like these days is like full of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I was um when I was hanging out with my band the other day. And they were just trading their, their mental health diagnoses, like their Pokemon cards. And, and I'm right. like, we didn't, we didn't, like, they're just spouting out their, their diagnoses. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, we were kids, like, when you acted manic, like, you got hit. Like, you said something, yeah. like, not it. Now they're like, oh no, he was having a manic episode. He's bipolar, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? Fuck that. He said some dumb shit. He, you should have punched him. And yeah. <laughs> like, you don't get a pass because he's retarded. <laughs> you, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah. But, but back in the day, that's what, you right. know, handicapped kids got it too, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Maybe it's we're more, more open to talk about it now. Because mm -hmm. um, I would never share my mental health diagnosis with anybody. Like, it's like, this ammunition. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm. Like your weakness, like a video game. Like I'm, I'm weak to fire. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I have attention deficit disorder, so if I juggle shit, you, you lose control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's interesting. There's been, they've, I don't, I don't know who they is in particular, but people have started to really study violence and stuff like that, and just like certain indicators of how messed up the world is and the world is less messed up now than it's ever been oh in, yeah in, in human history yeah no definitely no, the numbers are, the numbers are great we're the safe the safest yeah. years of our lives man human history but the media what's so interesting is that the way the media is engineered is the media will it does it all practically does everything it can to make you not believe that things are okay absolutely terrified terrified i don't walk outside by myself i'm a black man and yeah, I'm, scared. Yeah. I'm scared to walk outside <laughs> nah yeah the media is wild man it's, but the fear mongering i think is there to sell us another product yeah because fear all right i want to walk outside all right what do i need i need a gun man i'm gonna go go to smith and wesson and get me a gun I need, I need life insurance <laughs> it's just in case the girl fails right <laughs> go buy some life insurance yeah. Yeah, fear. I guess it kind of ties back to like what we were talking about early. Like, fear exists for a good reason, but it's about really intentional about our relationship with it. Like, learn from it, but don't be controlled by it. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, certainly. And it applies to to everything. I mean, when we when we're attached to our routines, then the idea of those routines changing is fearful. It causes fear. When we're attached to people, the idea of losing those people, the idea itself causes the pain as if we had lost them. That's what's really interesting. Yeah, man. I find it. The latest thing with my, my kids is that they'll tell me that they they had a nightmare and they're worried about me. Like, I I did not foresee this, but they stress out and worry about my health and my safety. No, not my health, but my safety. They they worry. And I'm like, I'll, now I'm like, oh shit, did did I did I do this? Did I, <laughs> did I cause that stress in them? And uh, it's yeah. But yeah, I think we can probably kind of start to wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, because it's been almost three hours. Yeah, but I definitely, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be meditating on after this conversation is like we talked about with the fear thing, because I had kind of thought about it before, but then when you kind of laid it out and you were like, like that anxiety, that fear, Fundamentally, it is a form of love. It's an expression of love for yourself, but you have to, it's a tool. And you have to really understand, like, you have to learn how to be afraid of the right things and not be afraid of the wrong things. And you need to learn that kind of that balance of, like, if it's out of your control, like, if it truly is out of your control, yeah. you don't really gain anything from being fearful about it and so it may be better to put it out of your mind 
Um, but if, it, if it's in your control, then fear is, it's an opportunity to do something about it. Yeah. The, you know, we have those responses to fear, you know, flight, fright, fl- uh, flight, freeze and flight running, running from it. Mm-hmm. And the people that survive are usually people that pretty much run from it. You know, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every person that tried to fight the saber tooth tiger, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or froze, you know, they're not here. Uh, so the, the scary monkey won, and that's why we're why we're here. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's, that's our, interesting. Our best tactic. Uh, but the thing is, we live to fight another day. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We when we stubborn when we stubbornly resist something, then like a saber-toothed tiger, you know, it, <laughs> depending on what the situation is, it can devour us. And so if we, again, if we take this as a metaphor, like if we're wrestling, if we're in an environment that is leading us to do things that are making our lives worse, like for me, when I was working jobs that I hated and, you know, holding on to a worldview that was that I just couldn't really resonate with and then I was self-medicating with a bunch of toxic behaviors like that's that was an example of me essentially alternating between trying to have my way like whether if it's if it's like being in a toxic work environment and trying to get blood from a stone basically that was creating problems for me or just freezing and not doing anything because I was afraid both of the both of the known and of the unknown. Yeah. And so that's where actually leaving is leaving those scenarios has been the thing that has set me free because yeah. otherwise staying and and trying to fight the flow was leading to me devouring myself basically yeah. with different kinds of addictions and stuff like that oh yeah I, I think freezing is probably the worst option ever freezing is the worst option because it's, you guarantee, it's guaranteed death um, in any situation I was watching my son when he was playing his game yesterday I'm like son like he was looking around at other people I'm like son why are you doing that like why are you yeah. worried about this guy's score that guy's score like your character is a sitting duck like yeah. you focus on just your screen don't worry about and I had to keep redirecting them to that. And, but back to your, what you were saying, yeah, I, I love that we can learn from our experiences. Like, yeah, just because we run from a situation doesn't mean that we can't prepare for it again. Or right. if we do have to fight, like if we have to face that saber tooth tiger, may it be on our, our own terms. Mm-hmm. We're prepared, you know, to, we, we know how, we, we fought saber tooth tigers all our lives. We're saber tooth hunters. Yeah. <laughs> so, why not become an expert at the thing that frightens you, you know, and tame it. Right. Yeah. And that's where you can, you can go equip yourself with better tools. You can face it on different terrain. You can face it with friends. You know, you by fleeing the situation when you are at a, at a disadvantage. Oh yeah. You're you pretty much got to survive. <laughs> yeah. You can then face it later with different resources and the knowledge that you gain from it you know all right don't don't walk around with meat underwear on <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> um 
No, but we can apply that to to just life. Like when I, uh, one of the worst experiences I went through at my job, you know, I, I replay it and I think about what I would have done. Because at the mm. moment I, I froze. Mm-hmm. I just froze and I was a sitting duck and those people just devoured me. They tore into me and mm. I let them. But because I didn't know, I was I was so busy looking at other things and then I'm like, what is happening? Why are they doing these, saying these things? I didn't, when I think back now, dude, I didn't have to take that. I could have just like, whoa, let me stop you there. Yeah, let me take this badge off. <laughs> let me get my let me get my keys. I'm out of here. Y'all, y'all can have yeah. This. That's how I that's my when I replay it to heal myself. That's how I replay it now. I go back. Right. Like, let me stop you there. You're upset. Let me take this. I'm gonna get my stuff. I'm out of here. I quit. Yeah. Like, that's all I had to do. But I instead at the moment I internalized that man. I. Mm-hmm. I dealt with three years of misery uh, because of that. Because I froze a fucking mm-hmm. flaked. But now I know better. I wouldn't do that shit again. Like, oh, you said what? You know, this is a job, right? <laughs> this is a, this is a job. Yeah, vo- voluntary. <laughs> I'm not a serf. <laughs> yeah, and that's where the Stoics talk about it. The samurai talk about it. The Stoics called it premeditatio malorum. Uh, The samurai just talked about being prepared, but that's where you rehearse if possible. Like you think about different scenarios and as best as you can, you you rehearse uh, negative possibilities in your mind so that hopefully they can not catch you off guard and you can kind of have an action plan. And then the other thing is just exposing yourself to discomfort regularly and there's little ways to do it like just finding little ways to make your life a little bit less convenient a little bit less comfortable it can harden your mindset in a good way so that you can act more rationally and more swiftly under pressure Hmm. the stoics used to do this with like seneca seneca would do the cold plunge stuff like way back two thousand years ago like he would intentionally expose himself to cold water because he was like uh i just do i don't i haven't done cold plunges because i don't really have anywhere that i can do them but i do like the cold cold shower shower thing yeah i do cold showers it's not the same but just little ways to be less comfortable i've been trying to work myself up to that how i know you just gotta just do it right yeah, you just kind of dive into it. It's like quitting coffee, you know. It's just only it's additive instead of subtractive. I've been I've been doing one to do that for the last two and a half years. I should just do it. Let's just do it. I, I, it's easy to jump into a pool though, like a, a shower, because I'm like I gotta like. Right. Yeah, you gotta ease into it exactly. In a pool, there's no way. There's no escape. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like ah, this sucks. Yeah, but. We got to do one, man. When we get some money, let's do it. Let's, let's visit some place and do a cold cold plunge. That would be dope. I know there's a there are people that do like tours that they bring. They'll do like a, a mobile event where people let can me know, show man. Up. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. So that would be cool. But yeah, man, this has been good. Uh, All right, yeah. We didn't do uh we didn't have you introduce yourself this time. So quick before you <laughs> sign off, just kind of share. Who you are, what you're working on, and where people can find you. Yeah, so my name is Ryan Ingram. Uh, I go by Spoon Douglas. It's my stage name. I'm in a, I'm in a few bands around Tampa Bay. Uh, Pilot Jones is my main squeeze right now, the bass player. Also, I have Actual Tree, which is my uh, side project. Uh, you can find that all, all on um, so all streaming platforms, Actual Tree or Pilot Jones. 
uh, working on a book with Chris called Genesis Until the Stars Burn Cold. Um, it's a really cool story that's been growing and growing and growing. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. I'm going to announce when it's going to be releasing soon, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. But other than that, yeah, I'm having new websites. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on, having another great conversation. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again probably in a couple months. Cool, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. We uh, Next time you're in Tampa, let me know. We got to hang out. Yeah, I, I may be coming by in like November or something like that. So I'll keep you in the loop. All right. I think we're, I'll check my calendar. But yeah, I think we're, we're pretty cool for right now with shows. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And goodbye. Take care, Chris.